as much as I like to fight everyone, yeah, yeah. I'm having a pretty good time here. I like your your braids. It reminds me of one of my favorite street jokes. It goes like Uh-oh. this. What's the worst thing about... Uh, what's the worst thing someone could say to you while you're... Fuck. What's the worst <laughs> thing you can hear while you're giving Willie Nelson a blowjob? Uh-oh. What? I'm not really Willie Nelson. Oh. <laughs> Are you saying I look like Willie Nelson with these braids on? I tell that to everybody that has braids. And that has these braids. Oh. The Wendy's braids. Yeah. And I do. <laughs> I did make my hair red, um, which I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if this happens to dudes or people of other genders, but I want to say a stereotypically <clears throat> lady thing about me is that uh, whenever I get stressed out or like, I don't know, it's not even like stressed out. It's just like. You get to some periods in your life where you are like, oh, I feel like I'm not in control of anything. So then you want to have control over your own appearance. Yeah. And so you are like, I'm going to get a crazy haircut or I'm going to dye my hair. I'm, for me, I used to get piercings all the time. I've also <laughs> gotten a few tattoos recently. I think all of those are like kind of like uh, a similar mania that drives them. That's a cliche. It's like in movies and stuff. Like, uh, you're seeing Empire Records. Yeah, yeah, I know, but it's fucking real. So, no, it's a cliche because it's real. Yeah. And also, I think like dudes, um, so I got my first tattoo like 10, 12 years ago. And then everybody always hears like, oh my God, now you're not going to be able to stop. Uh." I didn't get my second tattoo until like 12 years later. And uh, now I'm really into it, but (laughs) I always was like, I don't feel this drive to go do this, but I also had other outlets of changing my appearance to uh, like release the valve, I guess, of not having control. But my dude friends and non-binary friends, I think they did this through uh, tattooing and piercing. Yeah, I feel that. I I really like the rush of getting a tattoo, but I uh like never have i've never had the money and follow through and like all the other things it takes to like organize getting a tattoo so whenever i meet somebody who's like 23 and they're covered in like really artistic consistent tattoos i'm like oh you have money (laughs) yeah you're rich and you're doing like an imitation of a person with like problems and stuff like get away from me you poser hi louisa hi hi jake I oh, sorry, we, we forgot to start the episode the way we started every every time. I know, I know, I know. How you doing? I saw, you know, you are uh, raging on the internet, which is not rare. Um, I'm not really raging. I've had a lot of people like giving me the like, is everything okay? All the time. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. I want to go on the record <clears throat> that I have never texted Jake being like, oh my God, <laughs> are you okay because you're tweeting shit? It's fucking bullshit that you're throwing in the out there. Yeah. yeah I mean, I just, uh, th- th- some chud news happened. So I like made jokes about it or did takes about it, which then floods my replies with like Reddit guys and 4chan guys and stuff. And they're like annoying and funny because they're so weird so i will make fun of them and uh retweet them a lot and that's just all that's happening but it's not like yeah 
Uh, You're not having a meltdown. <laughs> yeah, you read things through the internet like that. I don't that. think it looks like a meltdown. I don't think, but... Um, I was sick all week, so I was just stuck at home like, playing yeah, video games I was going to say, it look, it, to me, maybe somebody that knows you, it seems like a bored guy poking the fucking um, wasp's nest. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's like a fun thing to do. It's happened to this is I don't know. At this point, I'm just I don't know how to explain to people. This is like something I'm interested in because like <clears throat> something that like what's his face? Gillis's like reply guys or whatever will sort of say to me is like, you've been talking about this for three days. You're obsessed <laughs> or whatever. And it's like this is pertinent to my interests. Like I got yeah. a guy the other day saying, you've been talking about this for years. I'm like, yeah, I've been a comedian for years. Yeah. Like it's uh, in my world. And also this specific like conflict within comedy is like extremely relevant to even my life beyond that. So like uh, that's like fucking straw man argument or whatever. It's a, like a weird way of reframing it. I'm going to keep talking about this forever because it's also it's a really ridiculous question coming from a person who is on the <coughs> internet defending their favorite podcaster like, right you've been talking about what that for years are, what are you doing yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like i'm oh, sorry what now <laughs> but um you know what i have a lot to say about that but let's start with my follies yes sure because they're probably easier to address faster to address um because i don't think you're wrong about your follies I just wonder how Sisyphean they are, Follies. right? Yeah, but let's what, call it that, right? Our, what does that mean, actually? <laughs> I think it means like missteps, but so I don't okay. mean that. I just mean like actions in the world, I guess. Sure, sure. Um, so mine, or I don't know, comedy epic <laughs> questions, right? Uh, where everybody has like these different lines of what is oh the right and wrong thing to do if you're a comedian or around comedians or around comedy. So I'm going to throw out my ethical dilemma to you first, especially because I think it was the last episode we were talking about comedy community, right? Mm -hmm. And you were like, no, it's not a real thing. And then I, I was trying to argue that it wasn't, I don't think I did a good job, but I went away <laughs> thinking about it and thinking about like what I was missing. Right. Uh, with my stupid Tony Soprano allegory, it wasn't like, <laughs> I, missed, I missed the thing where I was in charge. I think I missed like the Italian wedding in the backyard feeling of the whole thing where we all know each other. And even if there's drama, everybody drops it to go to a certain show to like be there. I don't know. Yeah. Well, so that's think, like, that's the yeah. thing that I was saying fell through eventually for me. Like, the center of that didn't hold eventually the pretense that that was actually a community of people you could rely on for any given reason. I think once the conditions started to get worse, that's what I was trying to say. It was like, there's a reason that that doesn't actually hold together and function the way something like, I don't know, like fucking a really solid group of friends or like a fucking religion or no, a family. Absolutely, or something does. absolutely. And I would say that um, part of the reason that, it was a community to me. It's because I didn't expect that much from it. But then part of the reason it fell apart for me is because of the little I expected. It didn't measure up. Yeah. But it's neither here nor there. Point is, I was thinking about it. And, um, you know, I landed on Stick or Treat. Okay. Uh-huh. So Stick or Treat, I mean, I think most people that listen would probably know the people that don't listen or, like, don't watch comedy and stuff. Like, basically... 
Sugar Tree was a show that uh, was around for like 14 years, 13, 15 years, something like that. I have to look it up. Um, but it was a show that was started by two comedians named Mark Norman and Matt Ruby. Right. I'm just going to say it. This is my ethical dilemma. Uh, <laughs> they probably don't listen to this, but here's my problem. Right. So to give you the full background or I guess to start, I think Sugar Tree was a linchpin of New York comedy community, right? Like people of all levels could be in the show. They could hang out at the show. Like famous comics came to watch other people. Industry came to watch people. But like also open micers came to watch people. Like it was everyone came to sticker treat. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or at least by the end. And um, so I booked... I think like the last five or six years. And before that, um, Sachi Azura booked it. And she did probably like three or four years also. And Sachi was a like former comic who became industry. And so like she would run the whole show, book it, but she would also perform on it. Yeah. (laughs) So like, (laughs) you know, um, I'm going to go ahead and just like be an asshole and toot my own horn and say that it became a really good show when I started booking it. Okay. Right. Because you didn't have that conflict of interest. I did not have that conflict of interest. Correct. And I also um, had a reputation as not being clicky. And so by just that very fact, I was able to bring more comics in that weren't just like these people's immediate people's friends of like the Chicago group or the New Orleans group or whatever. Right. Um, and I also, I put out like three months ahead of the, ahead of time, Jake, I would put out like, um, casting call, I guess you call it. And then I would work with comics on, their submission and like I would pair them up with another comic that's doing something similar. And then like together you can figure out something funny. Um, I would give them some notes. Like it wasn't just like figure it out. Right. It was uh, a well-produced show and everybody brought their a game and like everybody took it really seriously and it was a really good time. Right. And to backtrack the way that I first met Mark and Matt, was that I went, when I was, like, just a comedy fan that didn't produce anything, I started going to Stick or Treat every year, probably, like, as of the third one. It used to be at the, what's that place called? What was that place called? It's closed already. Uh, like, the Lower East Side Poets Society Cafe. Remember that place? Uh, poet Poetry? The, uh, Dead Poets Society? I have no idea. No, it's something about Poetry Club, whatever. I don't remember what it was called, but I'll look it up. Anyway, I used to go there and watch the show, okay? And here's the thing. Um, For me, as an anthropologist and a comedy nerd, it was like a treasure trove that I discovered, okay? Because what I discovered was a show that was run by two comics who, remember, they had not been on TV. They had not had any, quote, credits or any of the uh, traditional success. Oh, sorry. That's my phone. My bad. And so they had the show. Oh, sorry. So I forgot to tell people. The premise of Stick or Treat is... They, when Mark and Matt first started, they would be like, whoever wants to do the show can do the show. Just email us or text us. And what you have to do is you have to do one to two minutes as another comic, right? 
And so, Jake, those first few years were like magical. <laughs> like they were years where the fucking show was like four and a half hours long because they didn't <laughs> have a producer. So yeah. it's just them like drunkenly putting their friends up, doing ridiculous things. Yeah. And because none of them are famous and none of them have credits, they are just so incisive with their fucking critiques of famous comedians, with oh, their callbacks. Yes. You know where I'm going with this. Okay? <laughs> yeah. This is just like uh, first 51st jokes. Is it though? Because 51st <laughs> jokes like – when it first started, the premise is like, do new jokes. It'll be funny that you bomb, you know, because yeah, they're new yeah. jokes. And now it's like professional level. So people just do Bring material one, at joke. it. Yeah, exactly. No, they, yeah. Like, people just do material that they do on it. They just straight up cheat. It drives me crazy every year. And then if someone doesn't do the do the, the they assignment, yeah. they bomb and they look like an asshole. And it's like, well, that's the one person that actually did the show the way it was the first couple of years where it was well, like. Well, um, so it sucks because uh, Sachi books that <laughs> and also jfod who is my friend i believe he's your friend as well yeah i love J-Fod. Uh, he uh hosts it i want to say and also maybe produces it so like it's no hate on them but it is one of the shows that i like i'm not down <laughs> I, don't I don't think it. it's i don't blame them for it i think it's the nature oh, yeah. of it getting like big it just it naturally happens when something like this becomes a huge a thing stupid premise because stand up is not supposed to be <clears throat> good on the first draft. Like there is no such thing. As well, I think the original joke there seems like it was that that is true, and it would be funny to like let your guard down around your fellow comics and like agree and just to yeah. go. Hey, we all understand this, so totally. You know, it'll be but fun. But then it got but, too big, right? It became a thing where you need to be seen at it, so people exactly. just cheat at it. They do material that's like yes, yes. honed and stuff. Exactly, and that sucks. exactly. Okay, so we're getting to the same thing of like right. then it becomes too big and it becomes like a industry fucking thing, right? Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I'm just gonna tell you straight up. So like, uh. You know, it was a magical, cool thing, but it was also horrible, right? So, like, yeah, they were, you know, and imagine me. I'm, like, either I would go alone or maybe I would bring my friend Allison, right? But I, like, wasn't friends with comics yet. So it was just fucking weird because it was just they were all friends. The whole audience was <laughs> You were just lurking? Yeah, you're That's just, like, so the weird. fucking weirdo because they were doing this for themselves and for each other. You get me? Yeah. And then um, it got bigger and bigger. You know, Sachi, like, she worked for TV development and stuff. Like, it got bigger and bigger. And and it became a thing with a photographer and all this shit before I got involved, right? So I'm not the one that did this. (laughs) I think I'm the one who actually, like, opened it up to it being not just a thing that a group of friends does, right? And, like, I actually got people that were, like improv people and musical comics and like people that were not just friends of the two hosts and their extended group right yeah and it became really good and we did it at the knitting factory it always sold out we did it at bell house which is bigger it sold out but we liked it better at knitting factory so we went back to knitting Factory. it was great right one show matt says to me one day backstage like it's running great we're sold out everybody's doing great And Matt is just like, he looks mad. And I'm like, what's going on? Is something wrong? And he's like, no, man, I'm just like wondering, like, why do so do so many industry people come to this show? Meanwhile, they don't come when we're running our hour or when we're, you know, doing showcases where we're actually doing our real material. Right. Mm -hmm. And it always stuck with me 
we couldn't have the conversation in the moment because I'm running a show. So I was like, yeah, cool. Got to go. <laughs> you know, I was, I was like, whatever. Yeah. But here's the thing. Um, and this is whatever. We'll connect to something else. But this is a show where besides just being like for us internally, a community thing where we got to make fun, like inside jokes, like we got to make inside jokes about dumb comedy shit about like, okay. So a good example is, uh, Jeremy Kaplowitz, you know him? Yeah. So Jeremy, uh, went viral, <laughs> like, uh, I don't know. Oh yeah. It was good. Yeah. Because he did on Sticker Treat, he did, and it's very funny because remember that when like the Cosby shit happened and the Louis shit happened, people were like, oh, didn't, did nobody in comedy know? And we we're all like, no, we like did, but like, what are we supposed to do about, it? you know, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I don't know. So then the same thing happens where we booked Jeremy on to do the show and he literally like he sends me a tape and he's like I want to do a Jerry Seinfeld impression and here's and I want to do all my jokes about like what if I had to pick up my 17 year old girlfriend from high school and I was like cool you got it you're in your impression's great whatever never checked his work right yeah he goes he kills it at the show and then um the other thing about Stick or Treat is we never taped anybody's sets um it was up to you as a comic to have somebody tape it and so then it was like up to the comic to release their own thing if they wanted to right um so jeremy the next day or a few days later he puts his clip on twitter and everything and it's literally him doing a jerry seinfeld impression and the jokes are all about like having a 17 year old girlfriend and it goes viral at which point a bunch of new people learned that Jerry Seinfeld dated a 17-year-old. Oh, <laughs> you <right>. know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so it becomes like this whole fucking thing all over again. And it all – so all this to say that like the, the it got too big thing, right? Where uh -huh. it used to be our inside joke, our safe space, where we were making fun of Amy Schumer's. And we were, you know, like all of this stuff. And then – at some point, it became a uh, another way to go viral, another audition, right? Another because so with Matt's complaint of like, why don't they go see us do stand up? It's like, you know, the era of we will pluck a stand up out of nothingness and give him a, a half hour sitcom that will be all about his fake life is like way gone, right? Yeah. So, of course, these very lazy executive people are more interested in going to a show where they're going to get to see 50 comics back to back performing in a character outside their normal character, writing in another voice, showing that they can sing, showing that they can do a sketch, showing that they can wear a costume and be, you know, like literally all this shit. Because if you are the kind of people who think comedy is a job, or the goal is to make comedy a job. The only jobs are things like SNL, right? Right. And like the whole thing with me for SNL is like similar to 50 first jokes. And I'm going to let you jump in here in a second and tell me what you think so far. But no, true. the thing with SNL is maybe I like shit on it sometimes. I'll retweet a joke about it, that kind of thing. But I just similarly, I know nice people and funny people that work there <laughs> you know i know nice people and funny people that have come out of there uh i don't think it's something to be commit it's like you got a job with benefits <laughs> like you know what i mean like it's just 
to me, I think you're doing it for the job security, for being able to tell your parents, look, I'm a success. I'm not a failure, Uh, you know, for being able to springboard from that to something else entirely, what you quote, really want to do, you know? Um, And so I just, I don't watch it. So I don't care. And I consider it to be if comedy is already kind of appealing to the lowest common denominator, SNL is the lowest of the lowest common denominators. And so it's not for me. I just can't possibly care. Yeah. No, it's for 14 year olds. Yeah. Exactly. It's a a job and you get to tell your parents. Sure. Um, Okay. A lot going on there. That's really interesting. Uh, And I haven't gotten to my ethical dilemma, but tell me your response so far. Well, okay. So 51st jokes is really, or not, not 51st jokes, chick or treat is really interesting. Um, something that made me think about it a lot over the last few years is that one of uh, one of the last ones before the pandemic, I brought uh, somebody I was dating who like doesn't really know much about comedy or like comedy really, and I was explaining it, and I was like, "Oh, it's a great time." And then uh, <laughs> and they were like, "That was terrible." <laughs> she was just like, "She just told me I don't understand like anything that's happening," and I was like, totally, "Oh, dude. right, right. Why would you? This is you- weird that this is such a huge event." Because there's just enough people to fill the room that are all like kind of in the subculture. Yeah, <laughs> it's a room full of uh, the comic book guy from The Simpsons. <laughs> yeah, everyone on stage and in the audience mm-hmm. and in the industry is all that guy now. Yeah, we've just sort of homogenized. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it's a bummer the way that like when things get big enough, they uh, they sort of. I, I I see what you're doing with connecting it to SNL and like that like like the lowest common denominator in nature of it because like way way back when i try to remember what it was like to be a young comic and why i got into all this stuff the i i remember something that makes me kind of sad which is that re- the f- most fun you'll ever have doing stand-up is before it becomes serious yeah. and like when you're just hanging out with your friends, like like you're saying, like the first few years of of uh, Stick or Treat or whatever, I I know that I wasn't there, but I could I could feel the vibe exactly what you're yeah. talking about. Hanging out at the bar, goofing around, you know, with your friends who are just it starting. It wasn't off. a good show, though, to be clear. <laughs> yeah, of course it wasn't. No, but it was a. It was a okay. Dude, I Amber Nelson <clears throat> did the first time I ever met Amber Nelson, who's hilarious. Everybody check her out. Sorry to interrupt, but she. I met her in the bathroom of this poet society, where the fuck it's called, and she had done uh, uh, tortured poet society, whatever. Uh, <laughs> Russell Brand and this fucking psych- That's funny. psycho bitch. <laughs> she had painted a beard on her face with permanent marker. <laughs> oh man, she's fucking funny, man. <laughs> she's so funny. I love her so much. So that <laughs> is the vibe of the whole thing. Just like insane. And now I got a drink with all of you motherfuckers with my half washed off. Yeah. Marker beard. <laughs> well, okay. So what if it's like this, right? The early days like that, bad show, good hang. The late days, good show, bad hang. You know, like in an objective sense, like to the was, audience or yeah. whatever. Well, for the audience, definitely. It was still a good hang for comics. And so this is what I mean. Okay. So my ethical dilemma is that uh, I don't think the show should end, right? So uh so to go back, I basically met Matt, Matt and Mark through whatever, hanging out, <laughs> right? I guess hanging out. Uh-huh. And then eventually, um, <clears throat> I don't know what happened to Sa- with Sachi. I can't speak to that. But 
they reached out to me and they were like, would you like to book Sugar Treat? And I was like, hell yeah, let's do it. Right. So I started doing it. Um, it goes great. You know, as much as I'm saying that it got big and like it became something that comics took more seriously, it was also still like in the back of a music venue in Brooklyn. Like it was still not the mainstream of comedy in New York City, right? It was still so like let me put it to you this way. Um, the last year before the pandemic that we did it uh-huh. was the year that we had this girl on. <laughs> as you all may have noted, I have just decided to fucking name names and talk shit all the time. Um, but oh, I know what you're gonna say. Yeah, Casey, whatever. What's her last name? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck is That's her name? Almost worse, right? That's worse. <laughs> Hold on. Blonde lady with the whatever, yeah, penis CK thing. It's almost better that we don't say her last name. Anyway, there Kelsey. was this like, Kelsey. Oh, that's her name. Kel- yes. Okay. Whatever. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Anyway, there's a a woman comic who uh, sends a submission the last year. Okay, and her submission is this like video that she had already kind of put on YouTube, where she was like pretending to be Louis C.K. and then when he gets announced on stage, she comes out and she's like jerking off a fake dick from her zipper and her pants, right? And she just yeah. does like a minute where she's like, ah, isn't this what you guys want to see? <laughs> Whatever. And here's the thing. I saw it and it's not like I was like, this is hilarious, but it is, um, it was of the moment and of what that's we do. It's a fine two minute yeah. bit. Exactly. No, yeah, one minute. Funny. Exactly. And it's like really what Stick or Treat had always been about was like, right. let's make fun of the comedians. We don't put any of them on a pedestal. We're here to make fun of them. Uh, well, and I should be clear, uh, the way that Stick or Treat went is either comics went one of one or the other way. One was like to do a perfect imitation homage of some wonderful comic yeah. or to completely tear this new this comic a new asshole. <laughs> right? That like, one's funnier. Yeah, they, uh, well, and the first one, you know what's funny is that I also ran the show in LA. Ooh, sorry, LA people. Uh, this one come to come as a surprise to you, Jake, but in LA, it was more of the second type, more of people doing a perfect impression homage. Oh, yeah, sure. Because it's more like actors and people who pay attention to how they present themselves type of yeah. comedy and less of actually writing new jokes that skewered comedians in their own voice. Right. Whereas in New York, it's the opposite. It's more. I feel like people here in LA are very like somebody said once to me, uh, when you're in Washington, DC, if you do jokes about politics, people clam up and they don't laugh because everybody works for somebody. Mm -hmm. And out here in LA, if you do a joke about like a new big movie, same thing happens because like ha- everybody either they, worked works, on that, <laughs> they yeah. either worked on it or they're worried that if they are seen like laughing at it, they'll cost them like, a job or something. So everyone yeah. has that just in their mind all the time. Yeah, exactly. Um, so sugar treat, uh, it got kind of big, right? And it was whatever. But oh, this is what I was saying. So the credit, right? So last year before the pandemic, Kelsey sends in that video. I think it's appropriate for the kind of thing we do, but uh, I had actually separately written this down as a point that I wanted to make that I'm just going to throw out there for every fucking person that hates me because I never booked them. Like uh, I have always worked with comics who 
host the shows, right? That I book. Uh-huh. And Jake, I always work with them in a collaborative way. Like I would never try to strong arm a comic uh, to like have someone on that they don't want. And I take their fucking requests. Like I'm just like, yeah, sure. Who do you want? And <laughs> I work with them, right? So of course, I immediately was like, if you remember at this time, uh, this was when Louis C.K. was like taking Mark on the road. And oh, interesting. Yeah. So like Mark was not famous yet. He didn't have the Amy Schumer Presents thing yet. Uh-huh. He had only been like he had had a half hour, I think, but he had been recently on the road with Louis. And like Louis had Lu- later uh, Seinfeld also like publicly said that he thinks Mark Norman's one of the new guys that's coming up, whatever. But Louis was one of the first ones. Right. And so this is like after Louis jerking off shit. But before Mark got famous. <laughs> okay. So Mark is clearly dependent in his career on Louis at this point, right? Yeah. So I email Kelsey's video to Mark and Matt, and I'm like, hey, this person wants to do this joke about Louis jerking off. What do you think? And I swear to you, I absolutely expected Mark to be like, no, you can't do that. Partially because he always turned down uh, impressions of himself. <laughs> like every time comics were like <laughs> admitting that they wanted to do Mark Norman, he'd be like, no, I'm not famous enough. Like no one should do that, whatever. Yeah. So I expected him to give me some excuse, but he wrote back dude within like half an hour. And he was like, yeah, that's pretty funny. Actually do it. Let's go put her in. <laughs> like, and then once he said, okay, then Matt was like, yeah, okay. So then I fucking put Kelsey on the show. Right. So then, so this is like two Mark's credit where I think that, Ultimately, in his inside self, Mark is a uh, comic book Simpsons guy, okay, <laughs> about comedy. Okay. But he, so he like w- had the instinct of like, yeah, man, we keep true to the show. We keep true to what's funny. We make fun of comics. We do that shit, right? Mm-hmm. Show goes on. Everything is great. We, Mark even had to introduce Kelsey so Mark goes up and he's like, okay, and now like one of the top comics, a little controversial, but here he is, Louis C.K. Kelsey comes out and she's like jerking off the fake dick and whatever. Yeah. And instead of like going right into whatever her little bit was going to be as Louis C.K., she starts kind of like chasing Mark around the stage, <laughs> like yeah, jerking yeah. off at him. I remember. Yeah. And then Mark, like whatever, he gets off and he's like trying to hand her the mic, but she won't take it because she's doing the jerk off thing. Yeah. So he finally like kind of throws it at her. She takes it. He gets off the stage. She does her little bit, whatever. Great. Show continues. Everybody loves it. We made fun of Louis C.K. Yay. The next day or like two days later, everybody, every comic who's been on the show starts like releasing their clips, whatever. A few days later, I get a text from Mark and Mark is like, dude, what the fuck am I supposed to do about this girl? <laughs> and I was like, oh, what are you talking about? And then he like links me to the tweet. And basically what Kelsey started doing is she started um, like aggressively promoting her tweet. Uh, I'm sorry, her video, her clip. Oh, I know. I got a whole story about this. Yeah. Okay. I can't wait to hear your story. So she starts like aggressively tagging me, tagging the venue, tagging like anyone that she can think of, all the publications, like trying to get it to go viral, basically. Yeah. 
it's been a day. Nobody's responding. Nobody's really retweeting it because it's like a one minute thing. Like, haha, funny, I guess. I, like, it, it, going yeah, viral is a gamble. Like, if it yeah. doesn't happen, you can't get mad. You, you can't force people to make it. Like, it's crazy. So then she starts like adding Mark and being like, oh, why won't you retweet this, Mark Norman? Is it because you work for Louis C.K.? Is it because you don't want Louis C.K. to find out that you had me on your show? Like, it's like he had her. He booked like booked her. Why are you trying to punish him for letting you be on his show, making fun of the guy that he is needing to make money from? Right? Yeah, yeah. So I almost feel like uh, this was like a Joker moment for Mark, <laughs> where he fully leaned into like, well, I guess this is my job now and I have to close off the whole part of me that had some kind of criticism towards the industry or towards my peers. And the pandemic happens and obviously we can't do the show. And during that time, uh, Mark gets more famous, right? He gets his Amy Schumer thing. He's like touring, whatever. And then um, there was like that soft post-pandemic open <laughs> you remember like uh where it was like i guess you could have events but most people know you're probably going to get covid so nobody wants to go to events so that's yeah. weird if you're going to have a show that's like 300 people in the audience and 50 performers in the backstage like crazy so at first we planned it and then we canceled it because it didn't seem covid safe right so then another year passes and so then i now it's like events are happening so then i email them and i'm like hey what do you guys think should we do the show? Matt emails me back and says, no, I think we should just wait one more year. So then I wait one more year. And then I'm like, hey, what do you guys think? And then they're like, no, I think we should wait one more year. So I asked them, you know, I was like, basically, I thought, okay, I understand that maybe both of you are now not in the position where you have anything to gain or enjoy from this show, right? Maybe now there's more that you are risking instead of actually gaining from doing this show. But I don't think that that means that the show should cease to exist. Right. So uh -huh. I wrote to them and I was like, you know, what do you guys think about like, I can produce a show. I can find another host. I will, you know, charge this much. And then I will split the money with all the performers on the show. Cause typically also we never paid anyone on stick retreat. And yeah. I didn't, I wanted to change that. So I was like, you know, here's my proposal. I'll pay all the comics. I'll split the door this way. And that'll li leave this amount of money that I would pay you guys for just being like the owners of the concept of the show. And I was like, and if you want, I can still promote it as like Mark Norman and Matt Ruby present Stick or Treat. Or if you don't want to be associated, we can just call it Stick or Treat. And I still pay you, right? And it was like nothing, like 200 bucks or something like that, you know? Yeah. Um, and one of them wrote back and was like, no, let's just wait and see till like next year. <laughs> and so basically, like, I don't think they're ever going to do it, but they also don't want to let it go to anyone else. And then I had somebody be like, why don't you just do it anyway? <laughs> <laughs> and herein is my ethical dilemma, right? Because like, I would never be like, I'm going to steal a show from some comics, but also uh, there are like, uh, body snatchers like a lot of fucking copycat shows that do the same concept or whatever uh -huh. 
Um, but also like, it's not like I can pretend I'm not stealing sugar or treat, <laughs> you know, like it's obvious. So number one, tell me about what you think about my ethical dilemma. What should I do? And number two, tell me your Kelsey story. <laughs> um, okay. Let me tell you my Kelsey story first. So, uh, Kelsey Kane was a comic Kane. in Austin, <gasps> right? Yes. Yeah, uh, and I think she kind of started there after I left and moved to New York, so I never really crossed paths with her, but, like, we were friends on social media because I think, you know, whatever, a bunch of friends in common, probably met at some point, same show or something, um, and she was dating this guy, Martin Urbano, who's, like... Uh, very, very funny, we like him. Funny, uh, big fucking, you know, rising star of the scene. Everybody's like, oh, there's mm. this weird, surreal fucking, you know, joke writer dude. Uh I also, he wasn't really in my class, but I heard about him, right? Yeah. Um, so I existed two young Austin comedians as a guy who moved to New York. So all things are being projected onto me that don't exist because I don't think people realize you can just go to New York. It's a different city. Yeah. You can just live there. It doesn't mean you've Nobody's graduated in you. any way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it doesn't mean you're doing huge things. Like yeah. you just, but it's, you think of it that way when you're a comic. Cause you're like, Oh, that's like the next level or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah. And I moved out there and, you know, I've said this a million times, immediately thought the way comedy worked was lame and me and my friends just get drunk at bars and stuff. I would do comedy more. Blake quit immediately. Like, uh, but I wasn't, I immediately was like, this is fucking stupid. Uh, it's rigged in, terms, in favor of the rich. Um, it's open mics are here horrible. So I just didn't buy into the way comedy works. I still did it in my own way, but. Uh, I'm not the guy to hit up. Was what I'm saying. If you're visiting New York and you're like, where, where How do, do I we make go? This like, job? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but she didn't know that. So when she moved to New York, uh, she hit me up and she was like, "Hey, um, you know what's good? Like, what are the good shows around here? Do you do you go out to stuff?" And I was like, "Oh yeah, I'm you know, thinking about checking out like I don't know some show in in Manhattan uh, that night. You know, c- c- come hang out. I was trying to be friendly and stuff. And this person hit me up, and I was thinking about going to watch a show." So I went and then she was there and I, uh, I just couldn't play. So it was kind of off the whole time because mm-hmm. like I was just hanging out like, yeah, this is it. You go and you watch shows and then Jay Fod's there and then you're like, what's <laughs> up? And somebody gives you a drink ticket and that's it. That's the experience of going to watch a show. But she was like ne- trying to network real hard. So I remember like Seton oh, Smith no. was there and she's like, oh, who's that? No. And I was like, oh, uh, he's this comic. He hosts an indie factory sometimes. He would open for somebody. He's married to somebody. I don't know. Whatever, right? And she like just went right up to him. It's like, hey, you know, like let's be friends and stuff. And I was like, oh, annoying. Oh, oh this God. is like making my skin crawl. Like I don't do this. <laughs> uh, and I, I don't know. And so she's I, I, maybe it worked. Maybe it didn't. I didn't really pay any attention. But um, anyways, I just thought it that was it. Didn't the whole thing just kind of I was like, okay, you know, that was fun. I don't know. This person's on like a journey that I'm not. So you know, <laughs> that's it. That's the, I'll just yeah. be like friends with, and then we'll see each other in passing or whatever. No big deal. Um, so then all this stuff with the, the penis CK thing happened. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, um, I, uh, I thought it was really funny. I thought it was funny at the show. And also, <clears throat> she made a video. Uh, and the, the video vi- with that was like the Louis intro from the it show, was, right? Yeah, Louis, yeah. Louis, Louis. Yeah. He was walking around. Yeah. Very funny, right? Yeah. And uh, I think that's but- what she sent me actually as the uh, like audition or whatever. Her submission was like, I made this video, but I could do this character. And I was like, hell yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And it was crazy because like 
it was funny. And yeah. this person had some vision and some talent, but because they came there with so much of that like millennial, I've got to prove to my parents I'm a real comedian thing. I think mm-hmm. it just destroyed the entire momentum of their like artistic path because uh, at one point, I'm hanging out in a bar. I'm hanging out at, at Cobra Club in the back smoking. Again, not grinding, not networking. I just like to go to Cobra Club, watch the show a little bit, hang out with my friends, yeah. right? That's where I'm at as a comic. She comes out. And I didn't realize that she had started – she had decided since it didn't go viral, I guess, to start doing shit to try to, like, make it go viral. And one of those things was to start, like, uh, accusing people of things and <laughs> trying to capitalize on, like, you know, oh, liberal feminist be, girl boss stuff. Like a, um, Jake, that is so weird that you say that like that because that is what happened in the exact same order. Like, she – if you recall before the penis CK thing, I'm sorry to make this a whole thing about Kelsey, but it was just, it is a, a weird hustle crap thing that like, hustle crap. Uh, so like when she first came, do you remember that she was doing this thing where she was trying to go viral by being like um, a beauty contestant? Right. She had a fucking piece in the New York times, yeah, which a lot of us did. I had one. It's just, yeah. we all got them, you know? And, totally. Exactly. And then, then, like, be, then that gave her some attention. So she was like looking for the next, thing right there are certain people you see like move from thing to thing and they make it their entire brand sometimes they change their name you know to be part of the thing and they're like okay fuck it now i'm a novelist ah fuck it now i'm a whatever but it was so weird because like okay turning to i'm gonna do a character making fun of louis ck totally makes sense it was funny like you said good video this is great but then she became like a, ugh, for lack of a better term, an, a social justice warrior <laughs> online. Yeah. Like she started being like, all I'm here for. Like, I think at some point she even started being like, I don't even do comedy anymore. I'm just here to call out all the predators. Well, let me let me give you some insight info yeah. as to how that happened. Right. So look, when I was at Cobra Club, she's hanging out with some dude. Right. And I'm like, oh, hey, Kelsey, what's up? And she's like, hi, Jake, you know, like kind of a weird, already <laughs> confrontational. Yeah. And the thing is, I thought the Lucy K thing was really funny because I thought it was fucking confrontational to like a powerful person, yeah. which, I, which I think is a good thing. But she was trying to jam this whole thing through a really like one dimensional liberal feminist politics to her advantage, which is like not a good way to do things because the point of it isn't to liberate other people. It's for you to get rich, right? That sucks. So, she, I, but I was like, I still thought, hey, Louis C.K. thing, really funny. Fuck that guy, right? And she, uh, so she got this guy with her and she goes, hey, this is, I forgot his name. Uh, he's my uh, v- videographer, cinematographer, something oh like that. Oh my God, okay. And I went, oh, cool. Oh, did you do the the PDCK video? And then she went, no, you think he did it because he's a man and I couldn't oh make the God. video myself? And I was like, you no, it's because you said he was your video. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like famous for a video. So, and then she went, Martin did it. And I was like, well, <laughs> like, <laughs> that's a man. <laughs> like, yeah. What is, what the fuck is happening here? You know? Dude, and- I, I, I'm sorry. I'm going to interrupt you just because of this, because like, I don't want it to be like, oh, we're talking shit about a woman who was just like trying to make it in comment. It's not that. Like, let me be clear about no, something. No, I gave so, her yeah, like no. the no, best. I, it's not even about you, Jake. I'm going to be clear about something. Okay. At one point, when she was like aggressively pushing this video, tweeting it all the time, putting it on Facebook, tagging people in it, trying to force people to share it. And then also turned it into a, this is all about confronting abusers in comedy. Right. 
there were women, both comedians and audience people, who replied to her on Twitter and on Facebook, and they would be like, hey, Kelsey, like, I appreciate what you're trying to do. You should definitely make fun of men, you know, like, definitely make them your the butter, your joke, whatever. But as somebody who has been sexually assaulted before, I want to tell you, like, this is triggering to watch in an audience. Like, it doesn't feel good to have this on my timeline. I, uh, You know, like this it sucks this doesn't just harm him it also harms some of the people being forced to watch this in the same way that his victims were forced to watch that yeah and kelsey's response every single time jake was to be like i think she copied and pasted it (laughs) every time she would be like thank you so much i hear what you're saying but it is my job and my responsibility to stand in my truth and to pursue the harassers and abusers in comedy so thank you for your feedback, but I'm going to keep doing what I do. And then she would like block her own women fans. And she women blocked them and deleted their comments and shit. Yeah. So like, this is the thing is like, I, I, I accepted this person with a lot of goodwill because they were a person and they also were doing something I thought was cool. It takes that much like obvious, like, uh, you know, destruction, like throwing people under the bus for me to turn all the way around. And I went like, oh, okay, no, you're, you're willing to attack other women over this. Totally. You're willing to Anyone. attack me, yeah. someone who's being yeah. nice to you. Like, clearly, this is so clearly an example of everything I hate about comedy, yeah. right? So, yeah, so she started a, a fucking live, or like a, like a room, like a show, and mm-hmm. she would book you on the show, but then... Like, if you got booked, she would go, okay, like, you're not actually on, like, you can't actually do the show unless you retweet the video or whatever. Because oh, she was shit. trying to force it to go viral. And so then she went on tour with some other Austin comics. <laughs> and they were like, I talked to friends of a few of the other ones. And yeah. like I would get, like, DMs from them. And I'd be like, yo, so what's going on there? And they would just be like, dude, like, you know, it's it's really bad. And uh she, like, she did a fucking, they did, they did a night at the Velve in Austin. And... Uh, they did it like tour style, you know, where there's like four people doing 15 minute sets yeah. or whatever. And do not tell uh, me she tried to do 15 minutes of Pina CK. Yeah. And uh, uh, the, so Pat, the fucking guy who was, um, oh my God, who was running the velvet that time, you know, he, he told, he had like a really fair, I think, conversation with her where he's like, look, we do two shows, right? We do the early show and the late show. Uh, the late show is known for being like a dirty, weird show. I think you should do the P2CK thing on that. But the early show, like, you're an Austin comic. I know you. You have good material. Can you just do, like, a set? Because I just don't – I think it'll kill the room or whatever. And then she she came out on Facebook and was like, Pat Dean is uh, sexual assault. Like, he abused – he was being abusive. She's used all the language for wow. him just – like trying to run his club a certain way she said that's censoring i saw a post yeah where it was like something about her being singled out as the only woman on the show and he tried to tell her what she could and couldn't do on stage or something like she made it yeah she tried to use like culture yeah and i was like wait a minute did you try to do penis ck for 15 minutes 15 minutes that's not a 15 minute set, homie. It's one <laughs> like, joke. What you, yeah. <laughs> like, wow. Like, if you want to come out like that and then have to take all that shit off and be like, ha, just kidding. I'm Kelsey now. Here's my jokes. You know, like, I don't know how else you could possibly incorporate that into a 15 minute set. I don't even know how you do it outside of Sticker Treat, honestly, but whatever. That's yeah. just like a craft, you know, exactly. question there. But yeah. like, uh, yeah. So it turned into this huge conflict. And this is 
sucks because later on Patty did kind of do something and get in trouble for it. Oh, with a I woman. remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and whatever. That's a whole other conversation. But uh, but yeah, then that's when she started to just go off the deep end and go like, well, I think she started to alienate so many comedians. She's like, okay, well, I'm not a comedian anymore. I'm a performance yeah. artist and I, my name is PDCK now and uh, yada, and yada, And I'm yada. just here to get all the predators. Yeah. Uh, my friend Raghav, who died, his last tweet was a joke about her, which is very funny to me. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> but um anyway, but so that's that story about her. But to, to get to your ethical dilemma here or whatever. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a couple of reasons I think it would be weird to continue Shicker Tree. One of them is because I don't think how does someone with opinions like yours or mine continue to work with Matt Ruby, who's an outspoken Zionist? Well, okay, so now that and we're also all Mark Norman no, is like no. a chud guy. I know both of them exactly. Like, uh, yeah, no, whatever, whatever. I don't care. Uh, look, I've worked with terrible people in comedy, as we all know. I worked with Luis Gomez, all these people, um, because at one time I did believe this idea of like change from the inside. Whatever. I'm not even going to try to defend. <laughs> Who gives a fuck? Anyway, point is, um, I literally just worked for them and I liked the show and I feel like they asked me to book it because they knew of me as being a comedy fan who also knew a lot of comics so I could probably run it right so it's like purely just an expedient thing um and I enjoyed running it and I think I was good at it and I think that it's one of the shows that was not about the hosts obviously most shows are not about the hosts although most hosts try to think that they are um but the this show specifically wasn't about them. And I think part of what bo- bothered Matt, I don't think it bothered Mark, to be honest with you, because Mark was such a comedy fan, comic book nerd about it, that he would like stand in the back watching the performers and like laughing his ass off, Jake. Like he was just like, this, this is awesome. What's this guy's name? That's fucking hilarious. (laughs) So like, he was like all into it, but Matt was like a little bitter about it. You know, Um, he's obviously a business dude, hustle crab. Uh, Frankly, I hope he doesn't hear this, but he's not great at comedy. (laughs) um, I would say most of his opportunities and stuff, uh, come because of a proximity with Mark. And I bring this up because we're going to talk about it in a second related to Shane, SNL, other things. Okay. Uh-huh. But um, this like comedy click thing, right? So Matt, I think that Mark would have been more likely to let it go because he doesn't need it because he doesn't probably want it to die. Like he has no, nothing to lose with the show going forward. I think for Matt, it was the loss of a platform that made him feel important and part of the scene. And like, he did something relevant in comedy, but like literally it doesn't matter. I could get a different host every year to do it and whatever. So the only reason you should get a different host who then claims host, right. To, uh, (laughs) (laughs) no, exactly. So two show solution. He, uh, you know, this is like a side no, but I guess what I have realized in the last few months in comedy or like in the world is that, Jake, I was walking around the world not assuming that any of the Jewish people I knew were Zionists. 
You understand me? Like, yeah, it's real weird because it was like a finally we have to have this conversation. So a lot of people you didn't expect would fall on one or the other side of the issue because it was never – it's a third rail issue. No one ever talked about it. Yeah, and it's also this thing where it's like <clears throat> uh, you also didn't ask me, but you weren't listening. Like I have always been communist and anti-war and anti-colonialism and anti-capitalism. <sighs> what makes you surprised that I am pro-Palestine? Right. Right. And yet with me, I do think it's kind of like a weird fucked up reverse racism where some of them, some of the Jewish people that I know have acted like, how dare you not know that this would hurt my feelings? (laughs) I'm a Zionist. And it's like, wow, I gave you the benefit of the doubt of like Zionism does not equal Judaism. And I didn't, I hoped that the reason you never talked about it was because you didn't have strong feelings about it, not because you were avoiding hot button topics that might be harmful to your career. Yeah. Right. And then when it comes up and I start retweeting these things, Matt was one of the ones who unfollowed me immediately. He blocked me. I yelled at him a lot. Yeah, I didn't. Um, But I think, you know, he's like, he shared some Zionist shit and I obviously was sharing anti-Zionist shit. And he unfollowed me. And I think, you know, we are now at the point where I don't think any of us can continue to work with Zionists, where I am in the process of like, the relationships are falling apart or being taken apart because of that. And that is fine. Uh, But I'm also not going to make it easy on anyone. I want you to like have to face it and say to me, this is why I don't want to work with you. So that fucking on my death, on my fucking deathbed, (laughs) I can be like... Matt Ruby unfollowed me because he's a Zionist. Yeah, I <laughs> you know. know like, it... Yeah, not because I stole his show, not because of some other shit. No, it's because he was pro-Israeli genocide of the Palestinian people. Yeah. Uh, and so I, to me, it's not even like about wanting to work with them, Jake. I, I actually think they should not want to do this show. They are old ass men who like should move on. And this should be a show that is run by and that is um, a cast full of people who are still in a place where they are, or I shouldn't say still, but are in a place where they do not fear making fun of their own industry, where they don't fear using their talents and their skills to cut down a peer, where, you know, like, it's not mean. Nothing that we put on stick or treat is like get up here and just be a shitty mean person to someone else. You're actually making art out of making fun of them and their shitty attempts at making art. And I don't think it needs them. I don't but I also don't think it should die with because they don't want to let it go. Yeah, no, I think that like it's pretty obvious. You just said it. That should get passed down to somebody else. That happens to shows all the time. Yeah. And like the Knitting Factory was like that, even though yeah. nobody really went to the one after that. But uh, well, <laughs> actually, Hannibal handed it down to it's Kenny a, and yeah. Park and everybody to begin with. So yeah. that, uh, yeah, I th- that s- solves the problem. I think in in the way that you're describing. Um, this is kind of tangential, but you just reminded me of something with like <clears throat> the way this conflict, uh, this issue of Palestine and Israel came about and you have people from a privileged point of view that did not understand, like think about it from their point of view. They didn't understand you weren't a Zionist, right? Yeah. Because they're living in a world where, where everyone, everyone probably agrees with them. Yeah. And that's why so much of the media that comes from 
uh, the status quo that comes from the right right wing, not right is incorrect, but right is in right wing side of issues yeah. like this always casts the uh, the the critical party as the blue haired Brooklyn, whatever you're just doing this for attention is always yeah. kind of the implication. So like those really bad sketch comedy videos that are coming out of Israel, they're <laughs> all the same thing. Oh, this non-binary Brooklyn person is look how dumb they are. Cause they're just doing like Palestine shit as a trend. And they don't know that they yeah, would actually, whatever, kill terrorists. Them. Yeah. Uh, they don't like gay people or whatever. And fucking yeah. Hamas. so, uh, you know, you're trying to prove that this person is, is being annoying. There's always like this through line of like, Oh, you're just doing that for attention. Right. You, didn't actually believe this and i i've been thinking about this a lot because um so i got accused of that really bad when socialism broke right because uh it was like pretending to be socialist for money yeah when uh when bernie happened and dirtbag left podcast and stuff happened Uh, and uh i was suddenly a thing because i got raided by ice and so i was getting like my tweets and stuff were getting like uh what do you call it like um, where they Flag. curate them or whatever the fuck those a- aggregated like aggregated, I was getting put in yeah. a lot of different Instagram accounts and stuff like that so <clears throat> Mullen right when we were young and we were just like drunk dumbasses in Austin uh, we we were like a real motley crew of comics We Austin's a drinking town it's it's a stupid place you kind of just do nothing there you bum around so when we were in our early 20s we would just get fucking wasted all the time Nick told me he shit his pants all the time all over Austin <laughs> <laughs> yeah that sounds right he got chased yeah. home by a mob one time yeah. he pissed off a bunch of people in front of a bar like mm-hmm. it was fucking crazy right uh and so that was kind of the central focus of what we would do when we hung out but i am also a sensitive uh artist, artist kid and i read and shit and like i'm interested in things and we were just we were, i mean our thing was to be so fucking mean to each other and shout each other down and try to like roast each other and stuff and um I think about something that happened a lot, which is I was I, really into the films of Charlie Kaufman. He's like my favorite screenwriter uh, or just somebody I really like a lot or whatever. <clears throat> so he wrote this movie called Synecdoche, which is a very <laughs> obscure word. And it's like I can't even remember where the fucking com- comes from off the top of my head. But it's like a really. No, this is exactly what happened. Right. No, so, I mean, like it's a like the real word is connected. Not like no. the movie. No. Oh, it's not? Okay. So syn- synecdoche is its own word. And oh, Charlie okay. Kaufman wrote a film that takes place in a town that's a fictional version of Schenectady called synecdoche because synecdoche is like a philosophical term. So it's a play on Schenectady, but it is synecdoche. And I, I fucking came into the apartment that all of us were living at or whatever one time. And I was like, man, I just saw uh, this movie Synecdoche and him and Chris Cubis just fucking looked at me and they just went, bah! and he starts screaming, this idiot thinks it's called Synecdoche, it it's called uh, Schenectady. And I was like, yeah. no, no. I explained everything that I just told you yeah, gotcha, and everyone gotcha. fucking shouted over me and they were like, yeah. you're a dumbass, it's called Schenectady. Uh, it's not called synecdoche or whatever. It's like oh, that God. shit would happen all the time. And then later on, like what happens, like eventually I was like, shut the fuck up. It's called synecdoche. So Cubist looked it up and he was like, oh, it is called synecdoche. But you didn't know that. Like you're dumb. Like you didn't know that. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, this is stupid. Wait, you're just, I just explained fucking, the thing to yeah. you. So this shit would happen all the time because we were just dicks. We were like constantly trying to make each other look stupid. And uh, love it. <laughs> You know, I would say something and they would say that's even if I was right, they'd be like, you didn't know that or whatever. And so then when fucking 
stuff started to go down with Trump running for president and Bernie and stuff like that. Somebody tipped me off. Josh Androsky like texted me. And he was like, yo, have you heard this Chapo Trap House shit? And I was like, uh, I heard about it. Never listened to it. I looked it up. I realized they were friends with Nick. I was like, that's crazy. Really interesting. Small world. I started listening to it. I was like, OK, cool. Someone's doing stuff that is like left to center and that it's better politics. That's comedy. I got really interested in it. Yeah. And it was like, you know, me and Josh had like sort of bonded over like Occupy, which is like before all that shit. Right. So I've always been into stuff. I always read Howard Zinn when I was like working the door at the bar and I worked at in my 20s and stuff and uh but then like it's really confusing because I think that because he was friends with all those people and also he just has the most that thing I was describing of like always casting the critical party as like an annoying pretentious blue-haired polyamorous Brooklyn witch hipster person he has that really bad and it's a fucking conservative defense mechanism it's the defense of their point of view you know so he accused me of that really bad uh, of being like oh you're doing this to try to cash in on this trend and to try to network with these famous people that I'm friends with or whatever and I'm like this is what really ironic (laughs) right (laughs) but it really pissed me off eventually as like a fucking like as a, as a to use some SJW term terminology here, a marginalized person because I was like, yeah. I have always been like talking about shit like this, but you just shouted over me because you had the fucking weird the the hegemonic you know position in this stuff. Yeah. So to simultaneously be like shout it over and then when you finally your voice is heard because it's a collective thing you go oh you're just doing that because it's trendy that's kind of like what's happening with i think from the zionist point of view with this pro-palestine stuff now where we've been like no no, no i've been literally doing a podcast for years where yeah. we've talked about israel like for I'm fucking like, years I'm it's fucking 40 trust me i did not find out about palestine fucking in october <laughs> like what the fuck <laughs> but it, like it's a self-centered point of view on their part yeah. to be like well i'm the main character of reality the things yeah. that i like are normal default so Wait, like, i have so much to hear and say about this but i have to pee really bad jake i'm so sorry I'll I pause. Gotta... sorry i um have been trying to drink more water and then, you know, I don't know how hydrated you are, but do you know that if you start trying to drink more water, then you have to pee all the fucking time? And then I Googled it, like, when will it stop? <laughs> <laughs> and apparently it takes four to six weeks of drinking more water for your body to stop freaking out and having to pee all the time. Really? Isn't that crazy? You have to pee if you drink booze. You have to pee if you drink water. You really, you really, you can't win. No, I, I gotta tell you, I'm a, I'm a, um, I would have been a good, um, one of those people in Dune. I forgot what they're called. Um, (laughs) because I think I'm just, yeah, Fremen. Thank you. I've been dehydrated for all the decades for my whole entire (laughs) life. I never need water pretty much. Um, but it's also way like I drink whiskey instead of beer. Beer, uh-huh. I can't handle it. You have to pee if you drink beer. That's terrible. I never pee. I'm a camel. <laughs> you know, like I keep all the moisture inside and recycle it and reuse it. But recently I've become aware of how unhealthy that is. <laughs> yeah, it's really bad for you. Yeah, it's really bad for you. So I've been trying to drink more water, but I fucking you have to pee all the time. But anyway, I, I drink tons of beer and tons of water. So I'm just peeing constantly. All the time, yeah? yeah. Oh, that's crazy, dude. That's gross. <clears throat> oh, but also that's different because you get to pee the standing up way. It's and great. so like Cobra Club, nightmare for a lady, dude. Oh, nightmare. yeah. Nightmare for a person that has to squat. That or, place like, sucks. I mean, the dude, bathroom sucks. I love the bar. Yeah, no. And like... uh I feel like people that don't live in real cities don't know, but like if you actually have to like walk around your city, 
you have to think about how big or how long your pants are because you don't want them to touch the floor in a bar or a bathroom or sidewalk. Yeah. So you're not only like hovering, you're also like holding your pants up so they don't touch the floor. It's a real fucking nightmare. I got to be honest with you. So you might think it's crazy to just say I don't drink water, but that's what made me so good at partying in New York is I never had to go to the bathroom. (laughs) You're a party Fremen. That's cool. Yeah, exactly. I'm a party Fremen. But anyway, that's going to be the title of this episode, Party Fremen. But anyway. Weird off tangent thing about peeing. Yeah, great. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Maybe we can make it a metaphor about the entire survivalist nature of the hustle crabs or something. I know, but let... uh, Let's go back to what you were saying, though, about uh, Nick and the weird. Uh, well, because- I, what, okay, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. I mean, just what I was saying is like what you what you see. It's it's like betraying of those people's points of view. They are telling the story as if you must be somebody who only follows. You're like a contrarian, and you like only do the opposite of what's popular. Because uh, yes. that's the way to explain from their point of view why people were socialists in the la- over the last 10 years or why people are, are fucking uh, pro-Palestine now or whatever. Yeah. And like, there is also some degree to which moments like this cause people to like learn and, you know, subscribe up, yeah. to these things, which uh, also like is good. Like that's, that's fine too. You know, I don't, I don't think you should accuse someone who realized Palestine is a fucking victim in this, situation somebody realized that yesterday you shouldn't be like oh you no, fucking you're just trendy welcome. or whatever you're like yeah i know you figure it out you're smart right yeah but it's also just insulting when like there's moments like these when someone accuses you of that you sunk cost fallacy would come up but anyway go on. <laughs> <laughs> um well that's my whole point what how yeah. does sunk cost fallacy play into this well because okay sunk cost fallacy the reason that i had uh thought of bringing it up is like the idea behind it is um uh that one of our, um, what do you call it, uh, predispositions, right, in our logic system is to think, because I have already dedicated so much time and energy and identity and everything to X, it's too late for me to change my mind or back out or have a different opinion. Yeah. And the reason I was bringing it up originally was because it's something that I think a lot of comedians suffer from in terms of like, I already committed to being this guy that has this audience that panders to these people. And now it's too late for me to speak against them. So like when I was like uh, Jim Gaffigan, even though he only spoke left of center, when he went out and said some political shit, that was like anti-Trump and like anti-Biden and whatever. Yeah. uh, (laughs) The fact that he chose to speak against the audience that feeds him basically that was courageous because most comics are driven by sunk cost fallacy, which says I already invested all this time into being this hot girl comic or into being this like contrarian, whatever the fucker that they never see a way to turn away from that. And I think that's also the case with Zionists. Right. And if you're a Zionist comic, maybe twice as much <laughs> because yeah. you already have the sunk 
sunk cost of identity, of family, of connections. You probably did the fucking. That's because it was a third rail issue and that no yeah. one ever talked about it. So they were able to sink a lot of capital into that. That's yeah. worked to Israel's benefit. I think that's why they purposely sort of engineered it as a third rail issue. Because if you, you know, you have people that have gone their entire lives just assuming that that's the right choice. It's really hard to undo all of that. It's like kind of embarrassing, you know, yeah. to go like, yeah, oh, shit, that you're wrong. I devoted my whole life wrong. to this. Yeah. I'm glad you brought this up because I'm playing a lot of poker since I moved out here because it's legal out here. And <laughs> that I love is it. something that comes into poker, too. Yeah. It's all all yeah. of my metaphors about art and the entertainment industry come yeah. back to poker because it's just my. Are my, you on tilt? Yeah. <laughs> I played so much of it that my brain works yeah. in the logic of it. And that's like that's how you get someone to call you when you want them to call you is you slowly bet enough to where by the time the end of the hand happens they're like well yeah. i already put in like a hundred bucks i might as well see the rest of it right because it's a cost fallacy yeah um okay so unless you had something specific let me connect the sunk cost fallacy to you yelling at people online this week and to snl and to sticker treat and to zionism all right um I guess where my convoluted rhizome brain was trying to get at is that sunk cost fallacy is such a common true factor for, I would say, most artists, but definitely comedians, right? That I just don't think that we can change their mind, okay? Um, So pause here for one second. Um... Last week we talked about Andrew Schultz, right? And how uh-huh. like all these other hustle crap comics will be like, oh my God, I look up to him because he figured out a way to make it work without needing like the traditional industry's approval, right? Um, I watched uh, Gabe. <laughs> Gabe sent me this YouTube guy who got sent to him by his brother. Shout out to Dan Pacheco. <laughs> um, who is this guy? He's anonymous, Jake. He does a YouTube like it's like a youtube podcast i don't know i'm never on youtube so it's, it's called um podcast cringe mm-hmm. <laughs> okay and this guy he's australian and he listens to all of the relevant comedy podcasts right all the ones that have all the major groups right the joe rogan's all that shit right and he makes these videos that are sort of like a breakdown about what's going on behind the scenes in these not just podcast episodes, but like clicks and crews, right? And I watched some really interesting ones in which he, uh, specifically he shows this clip of Shane Gillis Uh on Andrew Schultz's podcast. Okay. So Andrew Schultz has a podcast called, I don't fucking know, whatever, who gives a fuck. And his co-host is oh my god and the australian dude he doesn't have a name so i'm just gonna keep calling him the australian dude sure the australian dude calls him uh calls them andrew schultz and his boy band (laughs) it's he's so funny dude and here's the thing check it out he's not a comedian obviously he's like a fan and he's just so honest with his opinions that it's so funny okay so he he puts out in this clip and it's shane gillis on andrew schultz's podcast and as many of you may know akash singh is like Schultz's right hand boy band boy, right? Uh-huh. And Akash, in case you can't tell by his name, he's brown. And obviously Andrew Schultz is not. And 
Andrew has carved this like niche where he's one of the ones like it's really weird, Jake, because he's not one of the leftist dirt. Uh, you know, like he didn't come from the Chapo and come town and that kind of side. Uh-huh. But he absolutely is doing this, the same thing as come town <laughs> where he's being like, Hey, look at me. I say all the stuff that you're told that you're not supposed to say. And we're all laughing and it's like an inside joke. And then on top of that, he has his Brown co-host who then like co-signs and laughs yeah, along yeah. with him whenever Validates. he says anything racial or classist or anything. Yeah. They should give guys like that, like a rubber stamp to put on the white to guy when give, he says a yeah, slur. Yeah, but it goes everywhere because <clears throat> it's not even about class. Jake, do you, you've seen the clip of, um, fuck, what's that thing where it's like Chris Rock, Louis CK. Yeah. Uh, you know, the one where they, Louis they all- CK is like, talk about how it's okay for him to say the n-word he just keeps looking at chris rock and going, he, then, he says it's okay and then chris rock says on tv it's okay <laughs> you're you're one of the ones that's allowed so even somebody of chris rock's accomplishments and power and money finds himself in positions where around his peers he has to fall in line and laugh along and oh man there's a the story about kevin iso you know that comic yeah, I know Kevin. Oh no, is this bad? <laughs> no, no, it's, he's did something funny. Uh, yeah, it's, I can't remember who the comic. Is, yeah, Kevin's a little tough motherfucker. Go on. He's kind of weird. I tried to be befriends with him weird. at one he's point, and he was yeah. very resistant. I was like, okay, I don't care. Fuck, fuck no, this. no, but also mad respect, right? <laughs> Isn't that sure. better? <laughs> sure, whatever. Yeah. I was, I, I, I think maybe it's two people like me interacting with each other and not trusting each other or something. Because mm-hmm, I was mm-hmm. not trying to network. I just thought it was funny. Uh, but anyway, uh, fucking, he is funny and he's a mean motherfucker. <laughs> and mm-hmm, it's, mm-hmm. It works in a lot of ways. So like, I can't remember who it was. I think it was a uh, like Nick DiPaolo or somebody who was on stage, and there it's a white guy doing jokes or he's saying the n word or saying something like uh, transgressive in that way. And Kevin is like in the standing in the crowd, yeah. and uh, he goes like, "Ah, you fucking white people, you know you're real, you're so uptight about this sort of stuff." Kevin gets what I'm doing, right? Right, Kevin? And then, like, the crowd is just silent. You just hear him go, hear him go nah. <laughs> like, he, like, reaches for that fucking validation. Yeah. He's just like, That's what uh, I was going to say, Kevin. Nah. Yeah, no, Kevin doesn't validate anyone, no. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's not. That's exactly, exactly. So that's what I mean to say, okay? But so check it out. So this video, I mean, you're not going to love this, but this is what I'm, I, I'm trying to get at because it connects to the Mark Norman thing, too. So Australian guy, um, he's trying to make this point that there's something happening in comedy with these comedy clicks. OK, uh-huh. and he pr- proposes that <clears throat> before, like in the 90s, early 2000s, comedy clicks were like not a thing, Jake, and they really weren't like comics were you work in your town and then you work the road and you're mostly by yourself and you know, people from like crossing paths with them on the road. Right. And then I think, I guess like around podcast era time when podcasts came up, Uh this idea of like, I bring up my buddies and it's because they're really funny and I believe in them and I'm showing everyone great comics. It's sort of like this corruption of the pulling, putting the ladder down. Right? Uh-huh. Where basically like a handful of comics hit it big, whether it was 
uh, with a podcast or something else. And then they started to be like, I want to bring you my friends. They're so funny. I'm going to bring you the best people. But they weren't actually... The ladder is only like you have to compete for the ladder. So it's right. who can kiss the most ass. They exactly. get the ladder. And not just who can kiss the most ass, but here's the new me that it tells all the truth in, in 20 or whatever the fuck you're wearing. Uh, okay. So you mentioned Knitting Factory earlier. Uh, the background of Knitting Factory, the show that we had there was that Hannibal Burris started, he lived in Brooklyn at the time that he was becoming famous, right? So he started stand-up in Chicago, and then he moved to New York as a poor stand-up comic, uh, and then was like an open micro and came up here, right? Yeah. And as he's coming up, he's doing better, and he starts getting a little bit more known, and he starts this show at the Knitting Factory, right? He runs it for a while, and as he gets more famous, the show gets more popular, but then he's too busy, so he stops doing the show, and he gives it to the three comics from Chicago, uh, Will and Kenny and Clark, and they ask me to book it for them. So we start doing the show, right? So for the first time, Knitting Factory becomes a show that is not run by a famous person. It's run by three comics that most people didn't know, and now people are coming for the lineups, Right, because the lineups are all the comics that you've heard of during Hannibal's time. Okay, if you asked any of the staff at the Knitting Factory, the Knitting Factory show on Sundays, Hannibal's show, was like Stick or Treat in the first three years, where because a comic was running it, getting drunk in the back, it ran for four hours. Yeah. And I used to go just, watch it. I remember it was fun. Yeah, you remember? <clears throat> and he would just but he, like he went on way too long. <laughs> he, not only did he go on way too long, especially once like he was famous and it was clearly people were there to see him, you know. Yeah. But then he also started doing this thing where he would put up Anybody that was visiting from Chicago, anybody who walked up to him and was like, hey, man, you know, like, I'm black. I'm also into comedy. I think you're awesome. Can I do 10? <laughs> and he would be like, yeah, do it. And the staff at the Knitting Factory, they would talk about how Hannibal would just keep putting up people that they, nobody had ever heard of. And they would bomb and the whole room would be quiet. And Hannibal would be in the back laughing his ass off <laughs> at the person bombing, just getting drunk as fuck. Like laughing because he thought they were funny or laughing because they were bombing? Because they were bombing. Okay, yeah. Because it was funny to force everyone in the room to have to deal with this. The guy <laughs> bombing, the person, the, all the people in the audience. And this was what he was known for amongst the staff, right? And then I start like working in other comedy places. And, you know, comics will, uh, they're obsessed with credits and it's not their fault. Industry's obsessed with credits. So, like, comics will often use opened for as a credit, right? Yeah, yeah. And I, as a booker, I would get from comics, they'd be like, I open for Hannibal and this and whatever. And when I worked for JFL, I worked for Comedy Central, I worked for other people, like, I come to fi find out that amongst industry, they knew you never want to see people that open for Hannibal. You know why, Jake? Because they listed that, those are the people they listed doing the knitting factories opening for Hannibal? No, because his reputation was that he would put up people that were terrible. Oh, uh, he's one of those guys. So that he would look great afterwards. Uh, that's a thing, yeah. But then he would also get the credit of like he's so nice that he helps all these guys from, sure, totally. from, the, from the scene. But A, your show was terrible. Now you're giving the industry uh, the reputation that you don't actually bring good comics on <laughs> around you. 
And also all these comics who think that they're achieving something by opening for you are actually getting like a black mark on totally. their fucking thing. And so all this like as one example of like it's not just podcasts, right? But Australian guy's point was that in these groups, <laughs> it always seems like there is one successful one, one really talented one who surrounds himself with his buddies that he enjoys hanging out with who are not as talented as him. And he keeps pushing these people. So they get more, they get their own podcast. They get on the, uh, at the cellar or they get on at the comedy store. Like their audience keeps growing. Netflix gives them a thing like all of this. So the whole thing with like the Joe Rogan bump, Australian dude has a whole episode <laughs> about the Joe this Rogan. This is the most internet poison thing I've ever fucking I heard. know, Jake. It's amazing. <laughs> I fucking love this guy. I want to get him to come on Why You Mad because he's so mad. <laughs> I love it. He's so mad. So he's like, uh, so what happens? So he basically goes and says that like the Rogan bump is not real, right? Yeah. Because when you look at somebody like Shane, Shane went on Joe Rogan immediately after he got, quote, fired or whatever from SNL. Yeah. He had a terrible episode by Shane's own admission. He wasn't funny. He was really nervous to meet Joe Rogan. He just got fired all the shit. So it wasn't a good episode. He got like no followers. And then the next time that Joe Rogan has him on, he has him on with Mark Norman and Ari Shafir, I think. And then that second one is like a bros hang and it's like everybody can hang out and it's easier. And then more people from Joe Rogan's world kind of like Shane, right? Yeah. But Australian guy's point is this. He goes, uh, so he shows a clip of Shane on Andrew Schultz's podcast. And Andrew Schultz does the YouTube thing where they like put a video, you know, of their pod. Uh-huh. And it's like a night, <gasps> night show, whatever setup. And so like Akash, they're sitting like this. Akash, Andrew, Shane, and some other fucking dude, right? I don't know who that <laughs> guy is. And uh what we see then is like ugh, the grossest display I've ever seen of like comedy politics, I guess, or like comedy hierarchy and how this shit all works, right? Yeah. Because basically it starts off with like Andrew trying to be like, oh my god, Shane, so like you're hot shit now, right? What's your writer? Like, what do you demand? Because uh, you know you're fucking famous and whatever. And Shane's like, no, nah, man, I don't have a writer. Like, he's like, not, he doesn't feel the need to play along with Andrew's shit at all, right? Uh-huh. But then Akash keeps being like the little sidekick guy, ringing in and being like, yeah, man, I agree with you, trying to like make it a funny thing. And at one point, uh, for whoever may not know, Shane's like a history guy, so he reads about history stuff or whatever. So, at one point, Shane says something about India, gets a laugh. Um, Akash, who is Indian, then like interrupts to be like, oh, yeah, uh, actually, all over the place, you would see this, these signs that say to let. And I think that's because like you can't find a toilet anywhere. And then like another guy on the crew is like, no, to let means like to lease. Like these were apartments for lease. <laughs> And Akash like doubles down on how dumb he is. He's like, nah, man, I'm pretty sure it's where you go to buy a toilet. (laughs) (laughs) Just so dumb. And then like it pans to Shane and Shane is like, 
clearly like, why am I here with these fucking idiots? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> and the other two are trying so hard. But okay, so to connect it back to the Joe Rogan thing, um, in all of these groups in comedy, there are the people who are doing well for themselves and who are good at comedy. And then also the people who are like hanging on to them and both becoming the silo that keeps them from actually connecting anymore with real people and their peers or in their industry or in the audience, because they keep like uh, being their yes men, right? Like being these, like everything you do is great and perfect, (laughs) you know, whatever. And then ultimately they're not, like they're not funny enough and they don't um, earn any of the, mm, okay, like how much longer can we say Joe Rogan is somebody who has anything to say about comedy if every person that he um, platforms becomes less and less funny over time? Right. Okay. This is interesting. That's right. kind of like the, like, uh, was it Burt Kreischer that did the whole like shitting in his pants on his Netflix special? Did you see that? I have no fucking idea. No. Jake, he, he fucking like shit. He only wears pants. He doesn't even wear a shirt. That's no, crazy. He took off his white shirt and then like wiped his butt in his pants and then like showed it. Did he really? That's disgusting. Yeah, dude. That, that that's sucks. comedy now. So it's a thing. It's like, uh, you are elevating the people that are your most fun hangs but are also not uh, good at comedy or challenging you in any way to do yeah, comedy well. It's like a self-defeating structure. I've been kind of thinking about this because um, – so that's kind of the theory of Marxism-Leninism, right? Like uh, right-wing people always sort of love go – Go on. Um, oh, you're a communist? You love like China and like, you know, secret police and all this stuff and gulags and shit like that. I see where you're going. And the thing is, like, what they don't understand is that the theory of Marxism-Leninism, what Leninism said is that that was a temporary apparatus in order to achieve communism, which is the when all that stuff, here's the big quote from State and Revolution, withers away, as he said it a million times in that fucking book, is that eventually the state withers away if you do communism right. So it's always hard to explain communism to people like that if they don't get that. So you have to be like, no, 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 no. It's like a cast or it's like scaffolding is the metaphor that Lenin used. Yeah. It's a thing that eventually breaks. And I was thinking about that the other day because I did a uh, beginning of the year tarot reading, which is a thing <laughs> I did too. I love tarot cards because they are uh, man-made archetypes. They're not from the uh, any mystical past. They're images that we just, by doing tarot cards, have imbued a bunch of uh, meaning onto and created archetypes that you use to like just be creative and like think about your life and stuff like that. And I, was, I, I pulled this one called The Tower. And The Tower is fucking great. It's real weird. It looks like uh, a castle is being blown up. And like I was reading about it and I was like, well, what are people's takes on the tower? So I'm obsessed with the tower. I'm tower pilled right now because what they what they uh, this particular reading of it I got was is that structures like the scaffolding, like Marxism, Leninism, like the castle, they start off as uh, a thing that protects you and nurtures you, and then eventually you become so strong that they become confining and you must destroy it. Destroy them. Yeah. So like a show, like, uh, I keep wanting to say 50 first jokes, fucking stick or treat, right? It starts off as a way that actually like nurtures the comics within it and they're able to grow. And then it becomes something that you outgrow eventually. And so when you're in this space where you're like, 
oh, are we doing it? Is it going on too long? I'm fighting with all the people that are involved in it. This guy's a Zionist. I don't want to do this anymore. That's like you, like a a, a fucking bug, like shedding your carapace or whatever. The thing that it, it, things like that serve a purpose to an extent. And then you like have to kind of get rid of them, but that can't happen in capitalism really, because like with the Joe, no one's going to stop doing the Joe Rogan podcast. It's like, there's too much money involved. So people are just like, it's right. killed any right. any comedic nurturing quality it's had long right. ago, but people are just still running it into the fucking ground. And that's why things stick right. around forever. So let's go back to this, which is not to put you on the spot and disagree with you and be mad at you or anything, but <laughs> this is why I really don't get arguing with Ian and arguing about Shane or any of this because... I mean, the only way I can get it is, like, hopefully, like, the people who are their, are not their fans, but, like, fans of comedy would think about these things. But I don't even think that we're getting through to them, Jake. Because I, of exactly what you're saying, right? Yeah. Like, uh, they are already sunk cost fallacy in. It's not, we're not going to change Ian's mind by pointing out to him that he's been a hypocrite in his view of X versus Y, right? I don't, I absolutely don't think that there's any possible outcome of this i'm just doing it because it's like happening there's no reason for being on twitter also i need to point this out a lot because i get accused of being like a pot stirrer and someone who's like doing this to provoke these people these people tweet at me like ian just comes at me all the time and then i go okay i'm gonna make you look stupid by fucking replying and showing you that you're being a dumbass but i I don't like wake up really really like um (laughs) <laughs> one thing that I always like about um, your interactions and my interactions with those comics who have um, already sold into their sunk cause fallacy is th- when they are forced to confront the type of fans that they have. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, what, you fucking had that guy. Totally. I saw doing... that where some dude said something horrible to you about uh, whatever, some he violent shit. Bite the curb homo. Yeah. And then Ian, who is queer, uh, had yeah. to be like... <laughs> Well, uh, maybe That's we shouldn't do cool, it like man. this. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, do you wonder why you have these kinds of fans? Like, I don't know. Well, okay, um, so to me as a comic, pointing out that fucking contradiction, I think is I get something out of it. I'm like, this is – yeah. that's just why – that's why you write jokes to begin with, to fucking yeah. – to show that Louis C.K. is actually jacking off in front of people and it's yeah. and is not a hero. But that's an end in itself and like – the, the other thing is I think that I'm standing in contrast to a bunch of people who have all been in the same like who have all been like targeted by these people yeah. and then decided to hide and go nothing good could come out of this. So just yeah. like let them have it. And like I, I'm not losing anything at this point by like I would gain nothing by like hiding from these people i don't also i know people say this yeah yeah and it sounds like a cope i literally don't care like i've there's nothing left for me to be doxxed for or fucking exposed for uh i think no, it's kind, kind of funny and here's here's another thing right i was talking about this last night with somebody so yeah you're right that we won't turn any of their people over to the right side right but that's not really the goal so this used Maybe to happen to their fans no, uh, the, this used to happen all the time when like Bernie was running for president and people would tone police Bernie Sanders like mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. support. They'd say like, well, you know, you're not going to convince anyone. Yeah. Yeah. You're being too mean yeah. and, and you're, you're never going to convince anyone about being so confrontational. And I'd say, well, the, the the goal wasn't to convince the people that I'm being mean to. It's 
other people that also are in opposition to that person yeah. to get on board with there being a fucking like a wave of anger a line and like a, yeah a right it, or wrong side because yeah. there was had not been a real like clear call to action about class in america so like for every person you quote unquote lose that you like never had to begin with who you're making fun of hillary and it's turning them off you're turning someone else on and so that is why i tell people like some oh, guy really? was like you've been talking about this for years whenever you're gonna stop i'm not I'm writing a book about it i think it's important and fucking uh, what i'm specifically getting at are the nuances of how this plays into fascist culture war stuff and i think that that has some utility and i'm i i'm putting that out there so that people who read my shit and understand this thesis I'm working on or these fucking arguments will go, Oh, here's another example of that or whatever. That's the only utility, but it's also just Twitter. So like, don't even, I know I agree with you. And I also think, uh, I'm a big believer in like things need to be said in order for them to be seen and to change and all of that. So like, yeah, I, it's part of the reason, Jake, that I've never texted you being like, are you okay? Why are you tweeting about the, <laughs> you know, like I've never, I appreciate that. I totally understand why it's fine. Um, I'm talking to you about it now as somebody who I think understands intellectually why you do it. Right. Uh-huh. And, um, so give me this better of a doubt where I think I'm going to go into a little bit of a Shane defense situation. right sure. now. <laughs> and here's what I mean in watching your tweets. I think your points were more about SNL than they are about Shane. Sure. I am actually not talking about him much. I don't know much about him. Or right. Really I know. Care. I know. But there were com- not comics people who like responded to you very much thinking like this is about you hate Shane or whatever. Right. And this is maybe not even for you specifically, but like for anyone listening, I, I want to clarify that I don't think that was your point. <laughs> you know, like, um, I, I don't, think- I don't know the guy he's, he's been a dick to me like once on Twitter, but even that was probably just, yeah. He I don't know. He just like uh, someone was like, "Hey Shane, you should get this guy or whatever." Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what he said. I'm not defending him. I can't speak to it. I can just say this. Um compared to a lot of his cronies, right? Like a lot of the people that he hangs around with, uh Legion of Skanks people, he he does Skank Fest. He's like friends with he's in the Joe Rogan circle, all of those. I am genuinely saying this, Jake. He is one of the few of that group who is actually good at stand-up comedy and gives a fuck about it and wants to be good at it. You love comedy, though. See, the thing is, you like this is the the fucking factor when it comes to talking about anyone. Is are they (laughs) good at their craft? That's not actually an admirable quality in itself. No, it is well because it's corrupted under capitalism. That makes you think that it's automatically bad to be pro your craft, but it's not. It's no, not. You're, I'm saying, being good at your craft means you're good at your craft. Doesn't mean you're a good person, right? I'm not equating those. I haven't I, equated those. I think you love comics too much. No, shut up. I don't. I hate <laughs> all of you. I hope you all die. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, I do love them too much, but dude, I'm not friends with Shane. I've never hung out with Shane. Uh, I've booked Shane. I've like been in spaces with Shane, uh, but I've always also like freely tweeted my opinions about the whole shit with SNL, uh, like all that stuff. And like one time he totally like at, at the stand was just like, hey, man, what's up? And I was like, nothing, because I had been tweeting about him <laughs> and the whole SNL thing. And I was just like, oh, shit, he's about to say some shit. And then he just like quietly nods. And then he's like, I've been reading your tweets. <laughs> and I 
shit. And I was like, oh, yeah? And then he just goes, yeah, man, I pretty much agree with all your points. <laughs> and I was like, oh, really? And I know, I think I said this to you before, and you were like, yeah, of course he does. He's not going to disagree with you. He cares about his career, whatever the fuck. But like, Jake, I don't mean it this way. Okay, so let me bring up Australian dudes assessment, right? Okay, so Jake. Yeah. So Australian dudes assessment on, uh, what's it called? Uh, podcast cringe is that Shane is someone who didn't benefit from the Joe Rogan bump because he actually did really badly the first time he was on Joe Rogan. He managed to succeed despite how badly he did on Joe Rogan because he already had an audience. Okay. Uh So I agree with you that a large portion of his audience are the people who think it's so cool to valorate. uh, He got canceled, like whatever the fuck. Right. Um, And they're doing this dumb shit where they will simultaneously be like fuck the industry that canceled him but then once they want to have him on now it proves that he's the funniest and he's the greatest <laughs> you know it's so like yeah and the industry's good now because they have exactly right? no you're so and so this is why i say that all of your points are valid but they're valid about snl and the industry okay why we can be annoyed mad at shane or whatever is that he has happened to I think like accidentally find himself in situations where he goes along with these industry people. And I'm not defending that. I am not at all. I'm just, I actually, it's not even about Shane. I want to say that in all of the comedy clicks, this happens, Jake, uh-huh. where <clears throat> whichever comic is doing the best in the click is the alpha at the moment. And then the others become betas who are incapable of disagreeing with him, telling him, hey, this joke is bad, telling him, hey, this booker said this. Like, they just become yes men to him because they're dependent, because they're picking up the crumbs of, like, whatever you leave, I get, right? Yeah. And the reality is that Whitney Cummings, Burt Kreischer, uh, fucking what's his face and his wife. All of them are people who would be unremarkable except for the fact that they have proximity to Joe Rogan. Right. And they became like an extended universe. Ari Shafir is different than them because Ari has his own audience separate from whatever he may or may not have gotten from Joe Rogan. Right. right. He's sort of like a, a Stanhope. And that he has, like, built his own following, right? Right. Shane is also like that. They just also happen to be yes-men friendly with these other people who are, uh, like, stalwarts of industry that aren't actually funny, (laughs) you know? And so, like, the Australian dude, his, um, I guess, prediction is that there will come a time when we will still know who Shane is. Gillis is, and we won't know who Andrew Schultz and um, Akash Singh and Whitney Cummings are. Yeah, I can see that. Right? Because, <clears throat> yes, he is yesing along, but like, uh, he also put up this clip about um, Shane was like being asked about getting fired from SNL, and Shane's like talking about how like, he never wanted to be on SNL. He like had some people who worked on his team who were like, we got you an audition to SNL. So he went to the audition and then he got offered the thing. So then it was like, sort of like if you get told like Goldman Sachs wants to hire you right now and give you $150,000 a year and full benefits, Jake, you'd be like, 
Yeah, sure. You'd go I show guess. up. I'll take and it. See. I'll show up. Yeah. <laughs> like whatever. And I'm still going to be who I am because fucking whatever. But then it doesn't work out because one clip surfaces because then I was Googling it today. Right. So when we say Shane is a racist comic or a right wing comic, he we only have the one clip where he is yes anding shit. Well, there's more than that. I've, well, probably no. Fine. No, but, I know. No, <laughs> like fine. bad, some bad. Hey, Jake, th- you okay. have also you have. Right, personal, I've done horrible shit. No, I'm not saying. Not, that, no, hold on. I'm not saying you've done personal shit. I'm saying you have said to me that we should make allowances for the fact that within what one understands to be an inner circle of friends where there is no offense meant, then those words can be said in right. ten- with the intention to be funny. That's different from calling someone a sand N-word. Someone specifically to their uh, face? Or supposedly like, well, he called a woman that. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> no. And I say this because the – my the saddest conclusion I've had to come to in the last few months is that I'm actually very disappointed in comedy as an art form in uh-huh. general, because I think that ultimately what it's about is appealing to the least common denominator. And the reality is Shane is really good at that. Shane yeah. is really good. So like if SNL last weekend had IO hosting with, and then had Nikki Haley on, I'm willing to bet money this weekend will be Shane hosting and then they'll have Biden on <laughs> or like a fucking Kamala. <laughs> That'd be so funny. Right. Uh, so when you watch things like, uh, again, Australian dude showed this clip of Shane at the cellar where um, Dave Chappelle was like introducing him, bringing him up. And Dave Chappelle's like, Oh, this guy, he's uh, almost of SNL. So he like introduces him and he's like, um, my favorite thing of yours is your Trump. So he does the corny Chappelle does the corniest thing ever of telling a comic what joke he wants him to do. And then Shane does the corniest thing ever of doing the joke that Uh has been requested of him. So it's corny as fuck on both sides. But then after Shane does the Trump impression that gets the whole room laughing and Dave Chappelle, you know, slapping his knee, he immediately then adds another part that was not part of the joke. Like, maybe off the cuff, maybe whatever, where now he's like equally making fun of Biden. And he's like, this is how Biden would sound if he got assassinated. And like, it goes into a whole thing that now becomes like, maybe you thought that I was on your side because I make jokes that seem right wing. But then he's like, no, I'm not on anyone's side, which okay, is the cop like, out thing of comedy, Jake. Right. But that is what comedy is. It's a cop out. I, you get to be like, yeah, oh. comedy's bad. I'm always telling you comedy sucks. I agree. <laughs> I think it's lame fucking pandering. Oh, I'm, uh, I'm offensive to everybody. Like that's the hackiest old hat shit in the book. I've seen it a million times. It's nothing new. Um, I, th- th- okay. So like, let me backpedal a little bit here. Right. The stuff that I'm talking about, I, you're right. It's not. It's not about Shane, really. Uh, I don't think. I wouldn't even say it's about SNL because I think SNL is just a cog in the machine of capitalism. It has market incentives. It, it'll hire Shane. It'll hire Sarah Cooper. It doesn't fucking matter, you know. Yeah. Uh, so, but that's that's an argument that I'll use against people who think that cancel culture is a phenomenon. No, no, no. It's the market. The thing that yeah. fucking libertarians love. The market. It's your fucking thing, dumbass. It's just you just don't like it when it works against you. Um, but that's why I'm like not even a. I'm not even a, a, SNL is the enemy person. I'm a capitalism is the enemy person. The same way I'm not like a 
uh, gentrification is the problem. Like capitalism yeah. causes gentrification, right? So yeah. uh, it's not that. I'm also I'm what I am yelling at is fans. That's the main people that I'm like you were being Same. a dumbass. But that's yeah. also something that is a big material like wave. You can't yell at all of the people in America who like voted for Trump. They were caused by material like reality, reality to be that yeah. way you you can because i'm a comic and comedy's dumb like yeah. i can choose to do that but i don't think it really has an outcome at some point between the three factors here snl the fucking ravenous psychotic fans and shane gillis there is some agency within all of them and like i would argue i know like uh shane, i think shane gillis seems like a funny comic i've only seen him a few times because i I'm annoyed by all these people. So I don't purposely seek this stuff out. Uh, he seems like a funny guy. He seems like a human who's caught in the middle of all this to some extent. I understand that defense of him, but you also have to understand like, okay, so like, like I really hate like people in comedy and that, and and it's, they've gotten away with a lot of shit because they've created like a, a sort of like reasoning for being allowed to do this. The way I was talking about that thing where Epstein fucks a girl in the like the plane, like what are you going to do? Nobody did anything. Now it's okay. Yeah, yeah. So like fucking, do you know what another thing that's going on right now is that stand up New York, the workers are on strike yeah, yeah, yeah. against Downey, mm-hmm. which is fucking tight. That guy platforms Aaron Berg constantly. Aaron Berg I've been hesitant to talk about this because I don't want to like fucking cause problems for people, but I hate that motherfucker so <laughs> much. Wait, who do you think you could cause problems for by saying by for me? Not because of Aaron Berg, because of Raghav's fucking family, because he's a dead mm. friend of mine and he has like, you know, it's a touchy subject. That motherfucker, Aaron Berg, when Raghav died, he made videos as a character he called Ragbag, oh, where he I would that, impersonate dude. Raghav badly, just doing a bad like Arab accent. And yeah. just make jokes about like buying fentanyl and shit, right? I hate that motherfucker. If he's yeah, ever fuck that guy. like, I it's I don't know. I don't know what the fuck I'll do. If I ever do you him. know? So, but like, let me finish, man. Sorry, so, go. Like the Legion of Skanks, like collectively committed revenge porn against me. I want right. to kill all of these people. So if I ever have a friend who's like, oh, I did their show, you know, but we're still friends, right? I'm like. No, like it's if you were like I'm Batman and you're like I did a show with the people that killed your parents. Like I, it's my body is like okay, but that's not, I'm not Shane didn't do any of that to you. I'm not Shane I would never. fucking works with the Legion of Skanks. Fuck him. I fuck Shane. anyone that works with those fucking people. They co-signed horrible shit that they do all the time. I don't care if they're a nice guy. Jake, but that's literally okay. So whatever. It's fucking to say, everybody in comedy. I know. Yeah, not just that, but it's like, um, so my brother, believe it or not, is like, I want to say more leftist than I am. (laughs) (laughs) So my brother is the kind of person who like will be annoying about like, you go to Whole Foods, you bought something on Amazon, you like he uh, believes, like he believes every action that you take is your agency, which he's not wrong. I'm okay, not I'm not doing him. that, though. But you kind of are, Jake. You kind I'm of are. I'm fucking not. Now, hold, on, hold on a second. You kind of are. Okay, so for example, my literal best friend, Trey, and my lover, Gabe, just performed at the Creek in the Cave in Austin a month ago. Yeah, I think that sucks. You think that sucks? That's all uh, They're still it. my like, friends, but like, I think that sucks. So they're supposed to not 
work there at all because the person has a connection to people that you think do shit bad. I that's kind of why I don't want any connection with them. That's why I think comedy is impossible. Like you can't do it and be a good person. Yeah, then that's fine. I mean, like that's an and the end of the argument. Then then you shouldn't be doing it. Period. End of story. Right. I, I kind of or like figure out a fucking we should figure out a way to like not work with these people or something. But like the fact that yeah. it's like it's but then so egregious. Like undo capitalism, Jake. I'm not that's saying like, oh, thing. they they're not responsible with their fucking Yo, trash. I, I don't recycle. Media. I'm like these people like fucking like these people are an existential threat to me. You understand? I talk myself out of killing myself because of these people. So to me, there's no there's bl- there's no fucking gray area. It's like. That, that's a I thing that, I cannot. You, I understand. But what you're saying is that all the people who choose to not find themselves in the same position as you by compromising themselves in certain ways. I'm saying anyone are, that knows that and then does it anyway has made a statement to me that you do not value my life. Okay. So I work for a giant media conglomerate that was part of the reason that people had to go on strike as writers for TV shows. That is part of the reason that comics don't own the rights to their own specials. Does that mean that I am a terrible person? Yes, I'm a terrible person who has compromised because I need health insurance and I need to fucking live, Jake. That's different. That's a big fucking thing. No, it's it's not fucking. It's not this. When I tell you that someone personally fucking threatened me like per like a person we know that is not the same as like oh mcdonald's is bad for the environment and like immoral and shit this is a small world right no i agree i agree you don't think that i have taken sides in terms of like not talking to certain people because i've chosen the side of uh you you wronged my friend jake and that is wrong or you made a wrong choice in comedy that i find egregious and is a line i can't cross we all have them, right? And you absolutely should. You absolutely should. I am just pointing out that like our energies are better spent in trying to figure out, like you said, how to not be dependent on those systems, how to exist outside them instead of just, I guess, yelling at the ones who... I mean, it sucks. They do suck. <laughs> like, I'm not, I don't know. I'm, I don't disagree with you. I just, for your own mental health, I'm like, uh, like, what is the option? Then you're telling them to choose. I'm just you talking mean, about it. It's not prescriptive. There's a reason I'm writing a book instead of. Yeah. Do, but, like, you know, to go, back, to go like, uh, for my great crazy generation and use like a matrix <laughs> analogy. Um, I want to say maybe for the majority of my life, I feel like I spent a long time yelling at people that I needed them to take the red pill or whatever it is, right? Like I needed them to see the truth, see the truth, see I'm not crazy, see that you're making choices that are actually hurting all of us collectively. And at some point I started to feel like, let them have that fake stake, man. I don't know. Like, I'm not saying I'm right. But I don't think that I'm actually changing the matrix matrix itself by getting mad at the people who don't have the fortitude of self that we have. I'm not saying that either. I'm not implying that any of this 
is changing anything and that it's activism yeah. or whatever. I'm well, telling that's you, funny that I, that's like, what I wrote people, down. People I was are like, asking me my personal opinion yeah. about this stuff, and I'll tell you, I am aware that like most people I know are going to work at the creek and do stuff yeah. because of the forces that cause them to. I'm just telling yeah. you why that like bothers me and why. And I feel like I need to assert it in order for anyone yeah. to ever think about this shit because it's the fucking Epstein thing where it's like you just created an established reality where it's yeah. okay to revenge porn people and to fucking like talk shit on my dead friend and stuff like that yeah. and like threaten women in my life and scare people and like threaten my family. And the more that that's just normalized by people going, well, you have to work at the Creek, then like the worst things get. And so I, if there's yeah. not somebody to go, Hey, just so you know, like when you do this, you are co-signing this and here's why it's bad. Then it's just going to get fucking worse. Totally. But one of the things that I wrote down as you were talking was that uh, I wrote down, oh, so it sounds like you think that comedy should do something, <laughs> which we've had an argument in the past where you really don't believe that comedy can change anything. But it seems like you are mad that comedians are choosing to just do their job and get paid for their job and not do anything with their comedy. Yeah, so, I mean, this is kind of a paradox. Like, yeah. it's it's like, you know, it's like how, like, uh, I'm a communist. I also don't think it'll happen. Like, I think there's things that should happen, and I think there are massive right, forces right. in place yeah. that'll keep them from happening. But also, like, I, the, the oh, this is the realm I work in, right? So the only agent, the only power I have to influence people is going, hey, look, I've been a comic for a long time. I'm yeah. friends with your fucking people that you think are cool. Uh, I've got all these stories. Like, maybe this can make on some level cause people to think on some level in a way to where they are a Lenny Bruce and not a fucking modern comic or something. Cause there is, I, it's a losing battle. Fucking life is a losing battle. All of totally. this is communism is a losing battle or whatever, I know, but like, totally. that, but I'm not going to not think the things that I think are true and right just because I don't think they'll fucking happen. Same. No, I agree. Um, related, but side note, what do you think of this? Like, um, so, like, back before Ted Alexandro was a turf. Yeah. <laughs> Did you know about that? Yeah. Know. Oh, yeah. I know it sucks. <laughs> Sorry. RIP. Love you, Ted Alexandro. But back before he married a I turf don't love and became a turf. I know. Used to love you. Um, one of the things that I liked about him was that he would be one of the one of the few comics inside the cellar who would like perform comedy that was like anti-Zionist, that was like anti-capitalist, while all the other ones inside there were just like going along with the owner, getting whatever. And I alluded earlier to how I have suffered for decades of the problem of like wanting to make change from the inside and it's a mistake and never actually happens. But now, Jake, I am feeling like, is it right, though, to just, like, cede spaces to these people? Like, sure, okay, so we can't change them by being anti-capitalist and, and whatever and anti-Zionist in their spaces. But does that mean that the right thing to do is let them have those spaces? Because that's what they will become is just spaces for those right-wing people, whoever has the money to get whatever pandering comic. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of where I'm coming from. Like there's that, there's a Marx quote, man does not make his own destiny. Uh, man makes his own destiny, but he does not make it as he chooses. Right. So mm -hmm. like you, the, 
one of the important things about Marx is that he lays out everything and then some people go, okay, so is this just a philosophy of way understanding the way the world works? And he goes, no, it's also a call to action. Yeah. Like in order to change all these forces, it does require personal agency and personal responsibility. And in something like stand-up comedy where personal agency is the name of the fucking game. It's like game, the whole thing, yeah. Right. Like I think I don't <laughs> yeah. think it's crazy. Maybe it is crazy, but totally. I don't think it doesn't make sense no. to be like Okay, what I'm going to do, my role as a comic even, is going to be that, you know? That's yeah. my personal agency. I know, but then... Because I'm not a Seth Simons. I didn't fucking... I didn't, like, retreat from this whole thing and hide and be a journalist and go like... No, oh, no. Totally. I'm like, no, I'm saying this as a comic. I know, but you're also saying this as, like, if we add all the rhizome into it, I think once you add, like, being trad and, like... The feeling the pressure of some biological clock or like parents from middle class who expect you to be X and have a 401k by a certain age, like all these other things that then get added into their soup of self. And then remember, we talked a few weeks ago about how even like non-artists then in capitalism start to define their identity through what they consume. It's why they get so obsessed with John Mulaney being a good guy, right? Because if he's yeah. not a good guy, then I'm consuming a bad guy shit. Does that mean I'm a bad guy? So capitalism has gotten to the point where it is in, it is in us. And I just think we're sort of like, ex not expecting too much because I do want that much from them, but, I guess I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, Jake. <laughs> I'm a doomer. Like, I think that we're going to lose. And I don't think any of the things that I say should happen will. But I, I, that does, but the, the, the logical fallacy from there of like that, that won't happen. Therefore, you should stop arguing for it is bullshit to me. Like, that, and agree. that's part of yeah. what keeps people like buried under capitalist realism all the time. That's no, I agree. I agree. Like, you okay. shouldn't vote for Bernie because you don't think he'll win. Like, that logic of like, well, yeah, huh? like, what do you mean? And or don't vote third party because, yeah, exactly. No. So, this is why this whole episode was me checking in on you <laughs> and making sure that you were coming at this from a good place. And you are of just like expressing your opinions on how it is, because that's also how I feel when I have something to say about it. It's not with a, uh, I'm not mad at people. I'm not, it's not about revenge. I don't even think I'm going to change anything or take down the industry. It's just like, why are we all pretending that this isn't how JFL works or why are we all pretending? You know, yeah. like, let's just, uh, demystify it and talk about it and i am glad that we talked about it though because i do think haters listen to our show sometimes yeah and it's half our fucking listeners i know and i do think that if there's anyone we can reach it's kind of them <laughs> well like, okay you came full circle on that then yeah <laughs> i tricked you <laughs> god damn it <laughs> this is how it works. I should be a therapist. No. <laughs> <laughs> this stuff goes in circles because it's it's contradictions, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there is no self without the whole, and no whole without all the selves. So, um, we need every single like Shane and Ian and all their little fans to be healthy people to make up a good, healthy society for us. Well, that's right. not going to happen. I know, but <laughs> um, but simultaneously, you know, like I've had people be like, ah, like, why do you, uh, okay, here's a good example. So first week of October, 
we went to protests. I go to protests. And I remember being at this protest in Brooklyn and obviously pro-Palestine, anti-Israel. But it's like the first week, you know? And everybody's chanting and everybody's like down. We're all saying the things. And then somebody who's running like uh, dictating the chants or whatever says, mm. um, uh, Israel, Israel is the new Nazi. Okay. Uh-huh. And then after they say it, only like maybe 10% <laughs> of the crowd was like, Israel is the new Nazi. And it's like, <laughs> I'm one of them. And then I like look around and there's all kinds of like brown people, Jewish, white people, like all people around me just like looking real nervous. Like yeah. they're just like, I don't think I'm supposed to say that. You know yeah. what I mean? And then cut to January. And now we've got people at the chance just full on like, hell yes. <laughs> From the river <laughs> to the sea. They're like, uh, this is a gen-. They're like calling this dude genocide Joe. So like in the span of months, I watched that window go from like, we are pro-Palestine, but we don't want to say bad things about Israel to yeah. like all the way to like, no, actually we're going to say bad things about Israel. So then I have had people say to me, like, you should be grateful that that change happened. And I'm like, no, you know what? I'm going to go all the way left of that and be like, fuck America and fuck Joe Biden. We're financing Israel. We're doing all of this in the fucking Middle East. And then they're like, no, but Trump. <laughs> I'm like, oh, but right. how could you? And I'm like, no, my job is not to be happy with how far you guys got <laughs> my job right. it's to lead constant, not to tail yes is to constantly be like okay great job now keep going <laughs> like the fucking summit is still this way <laughs> well if you really mean that then you're like me i know i'm like you dummy <laughs> obviously but i am just trying to remind you and i that uh it is a crazy person's job that we're taking on because it's sort of like being the crazy person on the street holding the like a Jesus coming sign. Yeah. I mean, I kind of feel like, uh, it's not healthy and I, I hate, <laughs> yeah, same. Yeah. I hate that superheroes are like such a fucking like redundant, just ever present piece of modern mythology. But like, it, it does kind of work. I do kind of feel like Billy Butcher in like the boys. He's just <laughs> driven by having been fucking mortally yeah. like wounded on his soul. He's just in pain. Yeah. And he's like, well, I can't have a good day. like hanging out watching football. So I guess I'm going to devote my entire life to try to, to fucking fix this, you know, and like get back at it. And that's how I feel. I'm not a normal person. I'm fucked up. Really? Uh, that's th- th- I was made this way. I probably... Yeah. There's probably a healthier version of me that could have existed at some point, but I was fucking made this way. And it wasn't even just comedy and whatever. There's all sorts of shit that went into it. Healthier is also like, uh, what's that fucking term that sucks? Well-adjusted. Imagine (laughs) imagine being well-adjusted. Those people are never fun. (laughs) Yeah, no, fuck that. (laughs) My guy is, uh, you probably never watched this, but there's seven seasons, so check it out. (laughs) Uh, Johnny Lee Miller's Sherlock Holmes is my guy. So it's like Sherlock Holmes in the 2010s in New York City. And he's played by Johnny Lee Miller, who was in, uh, you know what I'm talking about, train spotting, you know. <laughs> so then, and he was he was also in, uh, uh, I think so, in Hackers. Was it 
like the Benedict Cumberbatch one out around the same time as this? Yes. And then they were both in a play. Yeah, it's a whole thing. That's crazy. But um, I'm going to tell you the Johnny Lee Miller one is better. And the way he plays Sherlock is that he's like an ex-heroin addict who is um, an excellent detective because he is so... I guess like attuned to existence that he picks up on all the small details. So he basically became a drug addict trying to like drown out how much he was attuned to all of existence. And I fucking totally relate. (laughs) I'm like, Oh yeah, totally. Like that's being an (laughs) anthropologist. And my thing is, is I am just in spaces watching everybody's like micro expressions and how you behave and how you react to certain people And for me, it's painful. It's like, I feel like I feel what artists are going through and I feel them slicing those pieces of turkey off themselves to like get somebody to like them or get a spot or get whatever. And it's like, it's like too huge, too much. You have to throw some liquor on it. Yeah. You can't just sit with that all the time. And then imagine, well, you don't have to imagine. And then how sad is it when you talk to some of the turkeys and they are happy to keep <laughs> slicing their meat off of themselves. Yeah. Cause they, they keep whatever, throwing it at you. They yeah. think that there's something that's going to happen at the end of this. Yeah. It's going to make it all worthwhile. It's a real acid trip, dude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's this thing I was, I just watched this uh, documentary about fucking Tom Wolf for the other podcast. Uh, and he talks about traveling with the electric, electric acid Kool-Aid tests merry band of whatever the fuck those people were called mm-hmm. in the 60s where they all took acid and were on a bus all the time and there's this really poignant line about like being on the bus and driving through a town and seeing all like all the normal people and just knowing like that they're on the other side of an impermeable bubble and like they'll just never Perfect. they yeah. have no idea they'll never understand that they don't <sighs> get all of this shit and there's just a like, select few that are just cursed to be like, I guess I have to stare at God all fucking day and like yeah, understand the exactly. universe and shit. Watch Sherlock. You'll like it. <laughs> no, you probably, probably won't. It's a, <laughs> no, and it's uh, basically like a fucking uh, procedural because he's just solving fucking crimes or whatever. Yeah. But he is um, non trad. So he's also like in 2014. Um, one of the earliest versions of like talking about polyamory and like dating a married woman and Mm -hmm. um, talking about having sexual relationships just because you enjoy the physical aspect of each other. And there's no like expectations afterwards. (laughs) Um, Why do they do this with Sherlock? (laughs) Well, can I tell you something? They also did this with bones, but because most of the fucking people that write TV are trads, uh-huh. They start off with these like non-trad characters who are like, I don't believe in having children or getting married or whatever. And then yeah. by like season seven, they're like, I've decided to have a baby. <laughs> I hate fucking. Yeah, it's the worst. I hate so they ruin like bones that. for me. But occasionally you see a little bit of representation for non-traditional Can freaks I, who see through the world. I know we're like two hours. Can I go back real far? Because I wrote something down. I think maybe Okay, go. And then we're out. This is a stand-up comedy related thing. When I was talking about um Israel and Palestine and how like the Zionist side of this, they kind of lived in like kind of a, having a hegemonic like support system for their views. So when it, be- when suddenly we had the conversation and a bunch of people like, 
are pro-Palestine. They're shocked. Yeah. And they're they're accusing you of being um like a uh, contrarian, right? Like Yes. Or like the, jumping on a bandwagon. Yes. Yeah. So uh I saw somebody tweet it in the exact words that I think like displayed what's going on there. Comics always do this, right? They always use the word we. So some shithead like Mac Rappaport or something was like, um, hey, like, like, are you people really telling me that you all like support this country that we all just learned about? Right. And they did the thing that stand up comics do where they're like, ladies, we all do this. And men, you all do that or whatever. Where That's like really uh, just fucking it, fellatio. It sucks. Right. Uh, I think in that language and using the term we the way fucking shitty relationship comics do it they gave away what you're saying is that you just learned what palestine is Mm -hmm. and because you're coming from like the hegemonic like uh what do you call it the 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 privileged point of view and the uh the, the one that's got all the power behind it uh you're making a very obvious assumption that because you just learned about something and you are you think you're smart and you think you're the main character of reality. Everyone else must just have learned about it too. And that's like betraying an inability to understand that other people might know things that you don't. And that's where those people are coming from. And that's why, that's why I think you should yell at them. You're not wrong. (laughs) I agree with you. You should yell at them. I guess I was being your, um, uh, devil's advocate whatever let's talk about it let's talk it through but you did remind me of something that i wanted to throw out there uh to just like double down on shitting on aaron berg and their friends Uh um so i believe the podcast on which aaron did that shitty ragov thing and they also did the nail shit about kate and all this fucked up shit was Uh in in hot water yeah which the other host is, I want to say, Gino Bisconte. Let's yeah. just put these motherfuckers out here. Because <laughs> somebody sent me this week. Um, so you said Stand Up New York is on strike, right? And it's Workers on, are on strike. Workers are on strike because of back pay. They haven't been paid their uh, wages or tips. And it's not the first time. Uh, like, I made some joke about how they never had money to pay the comics and whatever. But it's, like, not true. Um, because of Seth whatever his name is. I also know that uh, Stand Up New York got like $130,000 COVID relief. They got a PPP uh, loan, yeah. Yeah, they got a, a PPP loan and they still didn't pay their fucking people and they've been sued twice and settled twice for back wages by, by employees. And now the whole staff has like, they made an Instagram. They're all um, together striking, right? This week, the episode of In Hot Water, Jake... They straight up did a whole segment on how, oh, my God, the uh, staff at Stand Up New York is striking. That's so fucked up. Donnie, we're all with you. I saw that. Uh, Everybody's (laughs) behind Donnie. Uh, We love you. You support comedy. You love comics. We love you guys. Uh, Hopefully this all work itself out. Uh, We love you guys. Bootlick, bootlick. Yeah. Um, Which I say is like everything we were just talking about. They're always going to be the ones that I think all of them, they're all going to always be like, what benefits me financially? I have to pay my rent. I have to get spots. I have to get paid. So I'll 
I'll fucking back up the owner. Always. Yeah. Instead of the worker. Yeah, no, they suck. They're fucking, they're, they're, they're Yeah, scabs. so forget I defended anybody. Nobody, <laughs> nobody write to me about how I defended anybody. I didn't. <laughs> it was an intellectual exercise. <laughs> <laughs> Thought experiment. Thought experiment. Jake, do you want to plug anything? Uh, yeah, I started a podcast about King of the Hill with my friend Avery, who's the most funny comic ever that's not on the internet. Um, it's called That's My Podcast, I Don't Know You. It's on all the Who stuff. Who hung out with Gabe and Trey at the creek? Oh, mm-hmm. man. Luisa, have you oh, ever seen yeah? Avery? You gotta see this fucking comic. <laughs> no, I have never met Avery, no. She's like... I don't vouch for a lot of comics, as you yeah. know. She's one of the funniest humans I've ever fucking met. Yeah, I think I've her heard out. her on podcasts. She's funny, but I've never heard like her stand up. And yeah, stuff. she's a true stand up man. You gotta see yeah. her. Anyway, cool. uh, check that out. Check her out, uh, and also Poddam America. If you're un- unaware, this is my stupid communist podcast where I yell at the world, even though it's not going to happen. I got nothing. Just this, uh, and I make glass now, but just for me and my friends <laughs> those are my plugs <laughs> the end the end two hours and ten minutes we fucking did it again hell yeah bye Jake. <laughs> bye